A man become preeminent, he's expected to have enthusiasms. 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 What am I? What draws my admiration? What is that which gives me joy? Baseball. Alrighty, folks, welcome back to the Pull Hitter Podcast. This is Rob DiPietro, the Dead Pull Hitter. Thank you for tuning in to another episode. Coming at you this Tuesday, May 3rd, with a main event fab recap from the NFPC with Mr. Todd Whitestone, who bring on a special guest, Mr. Jason DuPont from Boston. Great dude. Met him in New York last year at the live NFPC event, and he's just super, super awesome individual who is a fantastic Fantasy player, exclusive high-stakes player. Um, as you'll see when we interview him, he um, doesn't even play in the main event. He used to, but he has so many other leagues. He loves to do more, but um, just great. He gives just phenomenal insights into how to play the game, things to just be aware of and how to attack uh, the game. So just really excited that he was able to come on and talk to us. And you know, just really grateful to anyone who is able to come on the podcast and gives us um, their time. It's just really, uh, it's important to me. And, um, and I don't take it for granted. So we don't waste any of his time. We got into great discussions, just pure Paul Hitter podcast stuff, you know, just right down into, you know, deep diving, rabbit hole stuff, um, you know, going deep into categories and just talking freely about, you know, playing fantasy baseball, which, you know, if you listen to this podcast, you definitely love to do. So, um, hope everyone enjoys it. Basically, the first um, hour plus is just getting into Jason's uh, brain a little bit about how he plays, how he drafts, how he attacks Fab, um, his ranking system, just stuff like that. And then we get into the main event, um, Fab itself, and we highlight some players. We just give some feedback on some players and some bids and bidding trends and um, what to do during in season, what not to do. Um, so, yeah, hope everyone finds it helpful and um, enjoys this episode. Yeah. All righty, folks, welcome back to the Pull Hitter Podcast. I'm Rob DiPietro, the dead pull hitter. I'm here with my mainstay on Tuesdays, Todd Whitestone, and we have a special guest, Mr. Jason DuPont. First, I will welcome my co-host, Todd. What's going on today, man? Not too much, Rob. How are you doing? You, you're going to... Be okay while the Mets are playing a doubleheader and we're still recording this. Is I'm worried about your uh, your, your your attention span. What there to be worried about? I mean, every time, <laughs> every every game, Edwin Diaz looks filthier, and every game, Kelnick looks more lost. So I get great joy <laughs> out of that. Uh, not that I want to see anyone do well. I hope this kid has a great you know future, but um, it's just good that a closer is outpacing the number one prospect. <laughs> that was uh, in baseball. So, the uh, you know, the deal that the Mets blew, um, even though they do, you know, they did have to drop Robbie. I know, but, uh, you know, it's good. It's uh, I love the doubleheaders that they're back to nine innings. That's super. Yeah. Um, we just had a nice, you know, nice um, outing by uh, David Peterson, who will uh, 
we'll talk to uh, Mr. DuPont about because he has four of him on his team. But uh, Jason, how are you doing? Thanks for taking the time out to come and hang out with us. You are the first, you were, I think the second guy I met in New York the first time I was there after I, uh, Mark introduced me to you, after I met Mark and uh, introduced me to you. And uh, you instantly, um, I was drawn for you instantly because you're just like super energetic, always smiling, happy, funny, and like, you know, life is short. So I want to be around people like you, you know, like, it's just really, I felt like, oh, I like this guy instantly. I'm like, oh, this is a cool little family they have here. But um, I know we've talked and I've seen you at the draft table. So it's great to have you on and to pick your brain a little bit about the high stakes fantasy world. How you doing, buddy? Yeah, no, happy to join. Uh, great to meet you the last couple of years, Rob. Really enjoyed talking to you and got to meet uh, Todd this year. And I knew when you were cleared by uh, Gecko Industries as well as Modica that you were a good guy. So, uh, and I and I and I truly I love this show. I, I do listen regularly. I'm not just saying that. I think you guys do such a service to the high stakes players. There is so much vital information that comes from this podcast, especially Todd's article. Um, it's become like a ritual. Uh, it, it to me, it makes you a better player. Uh, just seeing the process we go through every week. You know, we're so invested on Sundays. I love to hear talk about that the following week. So happy to join the discussion. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Thank you if, if you, for those uh, kind if words. You're yeah. by, if you're approved by Gecko and Modica, I, I think there's only four people in the world that are have achieved that. So <laughs> Wow. Wow. All right. That's, that's a pretty high uh, standard. That's a pretty yeah, high really. vouch. Yeah. So I got the... Uh, I next I just have to uh you know I didn't draw any blood yet but I guess that's coming I guess you got to do like maybe three four years and then they someone will pinch my finger and that's it yeah <laughs> oh man but yeah it's definitely um it's cool because I think honestly when I first started podcasting and getting into the NFPC um it just seems like there's more um, content now geared toward it, you know, and I think that's great. You know, I know Zach does a good job with his podcast, bringing it to surface and even some of the um, podcasts I listen to that never touched into NFBC, it seems like they're going into it. You see more content about it. So it's good. It's, you know, it's great that more people are being drawn to it and, you know, enter this little cool uh, spot that we like to uh, play fantasy baseball in. But um, Jason, um, you're from Boston, right? Big Boston Red Sox fan. Um, that's um, evident in your team that I see as well. But how do you feel about your socks so far this year? Well, we're 14% done with the season. So I think you know where I'm going with this. Mm -hmm. uh, I I'm not panicked. I look at the Red Sox like I do fantasy baseball. I, I think they have a ton of talent. And I think they're going to be in the playoffs at the end of the year. So, yeah, it's been a rough start. But it's been some of the, you know, I might be making excuses here. But rushed spring training the issues with the ball. I mean, there's been so many abnormalities that I think in a couple of weeks, this is going to even out a little bit. And, you know, again, they're one hot streak from being 500. Go 17 and 10 in May and you're there. So I'm truly not concerned uh, about the Red Sox. Do I wish they started better? Of course. I'm not yeah. concerned. I'm not concerned about the Red Sox. I think the talent will overcome. Um, but I do have some questions for you. Like, what what do you think is the ultimate route for Hauk and Whitlock? Are they just going to do this flip-flopping thing? Or do you think Whitlock is going to be in the, in the rotation or at least starting going forward? Yeah, so I think they're ultimately long-term, certainly both destined to be uh, in the rotation. Um, I think at any time, at least one of the two is going to be starting and you've seen Cora flip-flop and 
I think that flip-flop mainly was due to adjusting uh, Hauk because he couldn't pitch in Toronto, of course. Um, I don't think the piggyback with Hauk coming out of the pen would have even happened. So I think Hauk is a very safe – I think he'll be back to starting games. But I, I personally love how Cora's been managing it. Uh, fantasy owners may agree or disagree, but at the end of the day – um, you can't count on Rich Hill for 200 innings and 30 plus starts. Yeah. You know, Walk has been a nice story, and I like him as well. So they're gonna need those arms. But we're playing the long game here. We're playing for October. Um, I think everybody would admit, you know, Hauk and Whitlock are two of their three or four best starting pitchers anyway. So I think they're just gonna continue to play it like they have now. But regardless, there's been a tremendous amount of value for fantasy in the way that core has been playing it. I mean, look at the, uh, the Whitlock <laughs> scenario where, you know, no matter what he's doing, he's putting up massive value. So again, as a fan, I actually love what core is doing. Um, what I actually don't want is Whitlock strictly as the ninth inning guy in closer. Although I know he would lock down the saves because he is a beast. He's just right. so much more valuable from a team contact. So again, I think the next couple of months kind of, probably going to look like they do now, but there'll be a point in the second half where they're full-fledged every fifth day in the rotation. Right. So a question from me, Jason, is uh, I can't figure out what's exactly wrong with Barnes. I mean, he had some kind of back problem, but he just doesn't look the same when he's out there on the mound the times I've seen him. Do, do you have any theories on what's at the issue with Barnes? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And I'll, I'm not going to lie about six weeks ago. I was, I was very optimistic. He started spring very early, uh, looking good. The velo was back, um, you know, last year, tail of two halves, he was an all-star and then it was terrible when the sticky stuff band came in. But again, I can only think of one of two things. When you see the velo down, um, typically it's an injury, which we know there was an injury there. Uh, maybe it's not mm -hmm. devastating or it's something mechanical, which again, to my naked eye, I can't pick up. So I think the one thing that's very clear is they really want to get him back to the ninth inning. I mean, you can tell in Cora's comments, um, you know, again, there's other guys in the pecking order, which clearly are superior right now, but the end goal, and you know, they have Barnes for two plus years. He's, he's always had, you know, good skills, but kind of been up and down. So I don't have the answers for that, Todd, but um, I'm not giving up on him yet. And I'm glad that the, the team hasn't, but I think at the end of the day, he's got to get his velo back to where he was, and, um, you know, with him, he can look lights out sometimes when his curveball's on. Otherwise, he can be bouncing that curveball and stuff yeah. happens. So, yeah. but it's, it's been a disappointing start to, to say the least there. But again, um, I like the way Core is managing the bullpen. It doesn't have to be one player. Uh, I know for right. fantasy, that wreaks havoc, but I'm just thinking of the team context here. When, I, when, when Whitlock, Whitlock was um, in the mid, I think the, in the last inning of uh, like his, the uh the four inning outing that ended the game um then he just pitched the last four innings and me and pod were podcasting at the time and i was just like this is the new breed of pitcher <laughs> you know because i just think like you said i would think that's the least route that you just want a single ninth inning from whitlock you know you can't just waste the one inning on him um but i thought for you know it'd be great to utilize him as like a three inning you know, like an Eckersley type, you know, when he just came in and locked it down for three innings and just to have that on your team, you possibly get some starts. Maybe he like efficient enough and can get to five innings. You know, there's so many routes to value with him. Um, and so I'm pretty happy, you know, that I got him on one team and um, I'm hoping that he just gets a nice amount of like wins plus maybe even sneaks in like six to seven saves. I would just love that, you know? 
I, I think it's going to happen. I mean, that one save he had against Toronto, if you, you read about Cora, he just said at that moment, he was like, this feels like a playoff game. I need to go for the jugular and I'm going to do this. But that clearly wasn't his normal plan. So, yeah, I, I think it's going to be a fantasy bonanza the way he's uh, managing him. And if you notice, when Cora uses Whitlock, it really is a very important spot in the game. Even if he has grand plans for him to pitch, if the Red Sox were up or down by five, six runs, he doesn't use them. So from a fantasy perspective, you got to like the way Cora is using them. Yeah. Very important innings, leverage, multiple innings. So, yeah, again, it's one of my major regrets. As much as I'm a, a fan of uh, Whitlock, I don't have him on any of my fantasy teams. Um, I was just so laser focused on draft day of, are you starting day one? Or you could look at it as you closing. I knew he would be in there. It would be met, mixed up back and forth. But if I knew the playbook would work like it is now, and I'm sure everyone can play that game, things would have been a little bit different because I think he's going to be a massive weapon going forward. What What would you tell someone who has Rich Hill in a 15-team NFBC league? <laughs> Yeah, um, again, I, I don't have him as well. I didn't mind the Red Sox signing because you need a million arms whatsoever, but right. I really struggle with how are you going to get five innings from him? And that's my right. biggest struggle. I mean, so I would love you hold team. right now if you have him in a league? Would you hold him? I, it would be strictly based on matchups, meaning if I looked right. out two, three weeks, I, I mean, literally, I, I look at it this way, um, Rob. If I could start him two of the th next three weeks, I would hold him. Otherwise, I would cut him. And I think Rich Hill is going to be a guy that ends up on my fantasy team three times throughout the year. He's going to be right. that type of player. We all know who they are. Yeah. But like I said, because again, I think where people are going to drop him is they're going to look at that classic AL East matchup. You've got the soft tossing lefty coming into Toronto or whatever it may be. So I think he'll get dumped before a lot of these big matchups. But he's difficult, in my opinion, because he's either on or he's off. It doesn't really matter if he's pitching against us or the Blue Jays, it feels. <laughs> yeah. So... I think it's, again, I think it's going to be challenging to get five innings. I mean, he's, right. the studies just show it's so glaring. Third time through the order is, is I mean, like a lot of pitchers. So for Roto, um, I, I'm not a huge fan for uh, rotisserie. Okay. All right. All right. I'm going to have to write that in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, I do like the way Cora is managing the team, too. But one more thing before we move on to our, uh, our rest of the pod, but at, at the ultimate New York draft, you sat there and you had a mic drop moment. You know, you, you, you said, with your last pick, you said the closer of the Boston Red Sox, Matt Strom. And you just literally mic dropped whatever you had on the table, <laughs> computer, notebook. You closed everything and you're like, just like, I got it. I just fucking nailed it. And it was great. I was like, those are the, that's the enthusiasm that you bring that I love. Yeah. And that was, I wasn't, obviously it didn't happen. Although I think Strom has, you know, outside of Whitlock, he, he's actually been the best arm in that bullpen even year to date. Um, but at that point, that was kind of heat of the moment where Barnes, the back issue just popped yeah. up. It wasn't there in Vegas, of course. And, you know, Strom was having the absolute best uh, spring. So it was more of that because obviously I didn't have a closer up until that point. Um, but Hey, and like I said, we'll, we'll wait and see who's it, – it'd be interesting if there were odds who leads the Red Sox in saves because uh, I, I still don't think Strom is out of it. But as you can see, the way core is, it could be Robles tonight. It could be Diekman tomorrow. Um, but, yeah, no, uh, I thought I had a shot at that one. You, well, I it, think it Strom – my two, my two cents is I think Strom is firmly in the mix. I mean, I think he might have a better shot than, um, than Diekman for, perhaps because – and the reason I say this is when he got that recent save, Jason, 
Um, he was pitching against the two guys he pitched against were one was a switch hitter and the other was a righty. So, you know, that, that does not scream that he's a lefty only uh, pitcher. You know, I think that he, he would be used uh, in certain situations. I don't think it's that he's like the fourth option. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and again, I, I although I do like Deekman in some contexts, the strikeout rate is incredible. Obviously, he walks. So, you know, I, I Strom gets both sides of the plate out. He's got good control. Um, I agree with you. I'd hand the ball to him tonight for the uh, save. Okay. Sweet. All right. Let's move on. I saw a lot of chat about X stats on Twitter this week. Um, I, I wanted to know what you, you know, guys' thoughts are on X stats. If you use them, how do you apply them? A lot of the um, chatter was about like how the expected slugging is different from the regular slugging and that the difference is greater than usual and it's skewed and you can't use it. I was just wondering um, if it's a go-to metric for you guys on either side of the ball, pitching, batting, and um, if it is, you know, how, how do you use them and how are you using them this year? Jason, you want to go? Yeah, sure. Um, I think it's all important. I mean, I look at everything. I read everything. There's so much information out there, but it's not my most important and it's far from my primary source. And, you know, with X stats and I think the whole stat cast scenario, I don't think we know enough yet. I still don't. It came out in what, 2015. Um, and I think sometimes people overvaluate X stats and they get too caught up in savant. I think it's great information, but I just have other uh, metrics that I use first and foremost. And, you know, when I go down my rabbit hole, I'm starting with other stuff and I finally get to X stats. But honestly, where I look at it and maybe I need to be uh, educated, I look at it to just evaluate if a guy's been lucky, unlucky. If he's broken out, maybe I can back it up with some of the X stats. If he looks like a complete bum, maybe I can find out that he's just very unlucky. So, you know, X stats, you know, obviously we're talking about batted balls, but I think of even, you know, XFIPs or HQs, XCRA, XBA. Mm-hmm. I love them, but I have always looked at them as you were lucky, you were unlucky, and what the regression is going to look like, right or wrong. So that's how I incorporate it. But again, there is some valuable stuff there. And, you know, when you go into Savant, you know, there's just some metrics that I think are just more valuable than others. Um, and it's, it's funny because I even saw this interesting Twitter I wouldn't call it a beef or a battle. It was between one of the greatest fantasy players in the world and an analyst who I respect. And you could tell the analyst actually didn't even understand, I think, Matt's uh, exit velocity. And the NFBC player was kind of letting him know a couple things. So I don't think there's a great understanding of it. Yeah, I, I would agree with that statement. Todd, what about you? Yeah, for me, I'm sort of with Jason on this. I do try to find out and figure out, Rob, which players have been really lucky or really unlucky, but I don't think for the vast majority, it's my main uh, statistic or the main thing I look at to try to evaluate a player. Um, So I rely on, you know, others to sort of do the mining and say, Oh, this guy's really been unlucky. And then I'll take a look at that once I hear about it, but I'm not really going through the statistics myself and saying, let me find the unluckiest player or something like that. Right. Yeah. I think that's, I agree with you guys do. It's part, it's part of the evaluation, but it's just a little smidge of it. And I think getting too hyper-focused or getting hung up or uh, spending a day, like, you know, uh, uh, just evaluating X stats and the difference is just, I don't know. I don't know if it's the 
the the greatest resource of time. But um, yeah. and I also think you have to understand. I think with all metrics, it's, you just really have to understand how it's made and what it's describing. You know, um, because um, I was uh, a big baseball. I still am a big baseball HQ guy, and they have an expected power stat and then um, an expected hard hit rate, and then when I started looking at other, you know, other stats, other X stats, they differentiate. And I kind of liked um, the baseball HQ one. I prefer it. And it's, and it's just different. You have to really understand what it's breaking down and, um, you know, what it's showing you and how much, I, you know, to, to use it in your evaluation of players. But I do think that some people pour a little bit too much of a weight into it, you know? Yes. Yep. Yep. Um, second thing that, um, that I caught my eye was um, from a post uh, of our friend Gecko Industries. Um, you know, he's been posting some cool content on, uh, you know, the NFBC and the online championship, the main events, the bidding, just kind of like what we're doing, highlighting some uh, of the higher bids and the most recent guys, uh, most got the drop. But we were talking about, um, you know, how Jesse Winker went for 508. And this doesn't have to be about Jesse Winker, but, um, you know, just kind of comparing uh, people were having some input on, you know, how they look at, um, you know, what what a guy's worth. And um, Rudy Gamble from Rasball put it into a view like of what round the guy was picked and then trying to determine like if you would pick, you know, uh, you know, if it just matches up, like would you, you know, spend that much for a 10th round pick, 11th round pick. Um, obviously every league and need, team need is, part of the equation too but how do you guys like look at high bids when it's someone who went like really early in a draft or you know top 10 round top 12 round and he's dropped and then you know you're putting a high bid on a player like that what what is there like um a way you look at it or is it just like a gut bid and you're just assessing your team you know is there any rhyme or reason to it todd what do you think well, I, I looked at this, uh, Rob, I forget if I mentioned this last week, last October, I wrote an article because I analyzed right. this uh, sort of thing with did, how did the players do that bid a large amounts in the first 10 fab period? So it was uh, generally, it was over $100 on one player. And so that's a fairly low bar compared to what you're talking about with Winker 508 or some of these other guys. And the surprising thing was, uh, on on average, so I'm not saying it cannot work, but on average, those fantasy owners finish lower than a random sample of where you'd expect them. So like, uh, I think it was uh, 13% uh, were in the top five where you'd expect 20% just as a random sample. Um, or maybe that was the top three, I forget. But anyway, they, they were definitely lower across the board. And I even limited it, Rob, to the players that I knew turned out to be the best additions. And even then those players that bid high, that bid the most money did not on balance come out ahead. So I'm not saying it can't work. I'm not saying some guys don't use this strategy effectively, but I am saying that uh, on average for most players in most situations, if you're bidding a lot of money early, it tends to drag you down the standings. Interesting. Great, great, great little dive right there and, and explanation into what could possibly happen. Jason, what's your view on it? 
Yeah, so I don't really have a system to sort of price my fab targets based on where they went. Um, this is a spot I think experience helps. I just feel I have a good feel for what guys are, should go for. Mm -hmm. um, and I look, I look at fab as three types of players I'm bidding on, keeping it simple. Uh, number one is there's the players that can help me for half a week or a full week. And I think that's probably the majority of fab pickups, that Monday through Thursday back, right? right? You right. can help you on the weekend. So I look at those players as they're absolutely vital but you really should not be spending more than several dollars on them. I, I go through fab every week and I'm amazed at how many kind of what I deem to be one week targets uh, are going for 30, 40 bucks, which to me is 30, $40 too much potentially. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's first off. The second pool of players is they might help me for a couple of weeks. They might help me for a couple of weeks. Things look pretty good. They got an opportunity now. Um, and those players, I'm going to bump it up a little bit on the money, of course, that I bid. And, you know, roughly that might mean 10 to 50 to 60 bucks. And then there, and this is the rare column, players that I think can help me for all season. Right. Uh, I've, I've added a couple of those this year so far, and those can be the $100 plus uh, type players. So, again, I try to keep it simple. But what I try not to not do is I don't mind wasting money on a target, a player I really want, I really need. That fits into that second or third category. In the one week help me out category, I think there's such a waste of dollars being uh, spent on those players. On the on the one week guys, you're saying? Yeah, on the yeah, one like week. instead yeah. of yeah, instead yeah. of doing a couple of bucks or six bucks, you see too much like twenty for like a like a dump after a week. Yeah, exactly. And hey, yeah. maybe the player on the other side is higher on that player and thinks they can help them out for a couple of weeks. Um, and again, I know there's a lot of sharp players out there, but also with those one or two week pickups, I think a lot of people don't look hard enough at the schedule going forward. I mean, unfortunately today we're bidding on a lot of platoon players, it feels, especially in the outfield. So yeah, right. I don't care what you look like. If you're a lefty batter and I see that you got two lefties Monday through Thursday, you got another lefty on Friday. You're just not worth as much to me if I'm looking at you at a one-week right. player. So, right. And I think this is where the game has changed dramatically. It's incredible to me how many platoon players exist in that fab pool right now. Right. And um, you can only have so many of those on your roster. It's nice to slide them in when you get the juicy three-game weekend versus righties. But um, those guys, in particular platoon guys, I dock them significantly. Um, and as I said... You know, I think all of these types of players are very helpful to add to your team. Uh, I think to win, you almost need to have all of them. But right. especially the one week, I think 2020 ingrained one thing in everybody, which was hyperactivity on pickups and maximizing at-bats and right. playing the Monday through Thursday. That's not going to leave. That's valuable stuff. Yeah. But who you bid on and how much you bid, I think some players, you know, potentially might be doing it the wrong way. Yeah, let me just add on to what Jason is saying. I think... Uh, what I'd add on is I think some fantasy owners uh, evaluate incorrectly that this player is going to be helpful to them for a longer period. I think they, they, they're not looking at them as a one week ad. They're looking at them as a four to six to eight week ad and they bid accordingly. And then they drop them a week or two later. And that's when it's really a waste because you're just admitting that it really wasn't a player that you wanted to hang on to. Right. Absolutely. And, and one thing I'll add on that is everyone's pickups in a bubble uh, from far away, we can judge, but you never know the context of what that right. owner was dealing with sure. uh, specifically. And I know it created kind of an upheaval on podcasts, which I find funny, but the Jesse Winker bid, <laughs> uh, great guy. I think you're, you know, him, Anthony Casey. Anthony. Yeah. Uh, Wearing his shirt right now. 
Yeah, fantastic shirt. Uh, yep. Even better human being. And he was telling me on the Winker, um, he's like, you know, what people don't understand is I just lost Eloy Jimenez. Right. I just lost Mondesi. So he said, I'm done with speed. When you build a team around Mondesi, like it's tough to catch up. So I need power. So, you know, when I hear that, that sounds much better. And again, yeah. whether you or I agree with the bid or the player, um, there's very few Jesse Winkers in the pool, right? I'd rather right. go nuts on a player that should not be in the pool. Um, and hey, he had a reason for doing it. He felt he had a, you know, I don't want to call it a desperation play, but after hearing his rationale behind it, um, I think I'll put some context around that because, yeah. you know, if that was a surplus part or if Winker was his fifth or sixth outfielder and he didn't need him, um, then maybe I have an issue with the bid. But otherwise, I think that bid was fine. Yeah, I think I think that's definitely a way that's a peek into, you know, what what it takes to bid that much on a guy. And um, I think it's 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 almost weird because I think the flip side of it is like if you did suffer that many losses. Right. If you did suffer Jimenez, Mondesi, my kind of thinking is like maybe I need more to save for more chances at impact players, you know, and not just hung up on one because that's a lot of holes that you're, you know, that you just mentioned. So maybe my thought process might be like, well, you're going to need hammer drops, you know, hammer bids for other guys because you're taking so many, it's going to take more than I think one guy to make up the, you know, those two guys, you know, I think it's going to take an army. So maybe spreading it out to different guys, but Winker has to do what, you know, what what you you know what that price um shows you know he has to go back to the cincinnati winker you know to make that i think viable but yeah um, no absolutely i mean if he was still on the reds the bid would have been much higher than 500 dollars. oh yeah yeah right so, right that's true um, that's a great point too jason you're 100 right it would have been probably 700 yeah for sure yep good point good point all right so um before we get into the fab, Jason, I just want to talk about um, your, you know, how you got into the NFBC and what are the leagues that you take part into? Um, I know you do all your drafts live. Um, it's the best way to do it for sure. Um, so just maybe just give us a little peek into, you know, why you love it so much and, you know, um, you know, what leagues you usually get involved with because it's your one of the, you know, bigger, higher stakes player, and you actually don't play into the main event, right? So, which is, you know, interesting. I want to get into your brain about why you don't play in the main event as well. Yeah, no, I, I started, I think, the second year of the NFBC, so 17 years doing it, and it's just the obsessions become greater and greater through the years. Um, NFBC is life. It's family to me. Um, don't know how I would go through without it. Um, <laughs> through the years, um, you know, I, I've changed the leagues I've liked. I've now, the types of leagues I do, I'm very comfortable with, but I love the main event. I've done it many, many years. I've had success in it. The problem with the main event is I love too many other leagues. And like everybody, there's only a limit to how many fab leagues you can do. Thinking right. about Sundays, I love live drafts more than anyone. If I could, I would do every single live draft that they offer. New York, Vegas, Chicago, Greg's house in uh, Iola, Wisconsin, <laughs> you name it. The problem is... It's there's only a limited number of fab teams. So I got the secret number I need five fab teams and these leagues that I do, I just, if I did a main event, I would need three. That's the problem. Now, with that being said, I stalk you guys. I watch the main event. I pay attention. Right. Uh, I think it's the premier high stakes event. I have the utmost respect for it. 
Um, but it's just something I don't do. And, you know, the leagues I do now, and I, I'll admit, I didn't start doing these leagues right away. Things build up. You have a good year. You put that money towards the following year. You do a bigger league. This is how things happen. Right. Um, but I do, I, I love auctions. So that's always my preference. So I do the ultimate auction, the diamond auction. Those are in Vegas. I do the super auction in New York. And I do do snoop, two snake drafts because they're very, very special leagues. Um, one is the Mike the Mouth Ultimate, which everyone's heard about. And that is just a great time. Mike is incredibly generous and puts on such an incredible event. So kudos to Mike. Um, yeah, I'll never yeah. give that I was one taken up. aback by that, like seeing that this year. That was really cool. You know, he, it's, he, you know, it, it's even down to like the little things, you know, he had a little sunflower seeds and the popcorn. Cause even when I, I was talking, I was talking, um, I was on the phone with my wife and she was like, what's that? You know, I'm like, Oh, that's sunflower seeds and, and popcorn. Even he was like, wow, that's a nice little touch that that guy added. I'm like, I know. So yeah, he does it really well. Super cool. He does so many things like that behind the scenes too. So that league is awesome. And I'm, I am thankful for Mike, the yep. godfather for allowing me in that one. And, uh, Outside of that, it's the Platinum. Hey, the Platinum special for other reasons, of course. Uh, I love how you bid on the fab, uh, you know, the draft slot. So I do two snake drafts, three auctions. Um, I wish, you know, in a perfect world, I wish that Mike the Mouth of the Platinum was an auction. I'd love to go five for five, but it isn't like that. And uh, so, yeah, it's worked well for me. And like I said, I've been doing uh, these leagues for several years, at least. Obviously, in 2020, sprint season, things change for everybody. I actually jumped back in the main event, but... I'll plan on continuing to do these leagues going forward. Um, and as I said, you know, NFBC, I know people who listen to this are probably inside the NFBC, but I, I can't speak higher enough. Uh, you know, I've entrusted them and all of us have with a lot of money and mm. the service. In fact, you can talk to these people, you can give them feedback, they update systems, they make things better. They, how quickly they pay you is unbelievable if you yeah. think about that. I mean, right. if it, we, we've all heard the horror stories and we know the individuals that the company went out of business, never paid them significant amounts, overalls. And I trust my money with these guys, you know, Greg, uh, Tarek and uh, Derek and uh, Tom, of course. So yep. can't speak higher enough about the NFBC and the whole website, the infrastructure. I can't do another league uh, with another party. Uh, another website. I love the consistency, the clean feel of the website. You know, Derek and the IT team made that uh, ghost uh, uh, fab copy. Uh, it's incredible what they've right. done. Uh, so yep. again, uh, very, very happy. And uh, I just want them to continue to thrive. And uh, I'm glad okay. it keeps growing and growing. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I would love to be able to put my two home leagues on the site. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. I showed my brother the bids one day in the whole bidding system and he was just like wow you know it was just yeah. like floored you know we've been using cbs for 20 years and fan tracks for the last you know five years for a dynasty league and it's you know they both have their flaws and their you know and their pros the pros are limited but <laughs> you do the nfbc one and you're like wow you this spoiled. is just you fascinating spoiled. yeah you do right you totally get Fantastic. spoiled yeah, yeah um uh uh, Jason. So I was going to ask Jason, so just building on the fact that you do mostly auctions, you know, one of the things I've struggled with over the years is, you know, how, what are the players I'm going after? And should I be interested in a player that not a player that I hate or that really dislike, but a player that is someone in the middle, but whose cost is lower than I expect, whether it's at an auction or maybe at a draft. And uh, over the years, I've come to uh, 
look at those players less and actually try to focus only on my the target guys that I have in mind. Uh, are you the same way, or do you look at a player? Hey, this guy is eight bucks cheaper than I thought he was gonna. I'm gonna jump in and you know get him at a lower price. Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I think usually there's a reason that player is eight dollars cheaper. So I, I really have two answers. In an auction, I'm getting 23 targets. I'm getting guys I like their targets. There's so many targets out there that I don't think you, you should ever have a short list where if you lose one guy, you don't have a couple backups. Right, so right. auctions, I'm getting my guys. And this is why I love auctions over snake drafts. Now snake drafts, it's another story. I can have the best hopes. I got my targets. It just doesn't happen. Uh, yeah. You're playing chicken, always playing chicken. There's three third basemen left in this tier and you got to take one of them. And it always ends up being, and, and this is a good example there's usually about one to two players in my snake drafts that I took. I didn't dislike them because I'll never take a player I don't dislike, but I wasn't really into them. They were on my list right. and I took them. And I look right. back now and I said, so two examples, and these guys could pan out. Um, Kalenic. I took Kalenic in the platinum around like round nine. And I, I, I think back to why I did it. It was that moment where on my list, everybody I liked was three, four rounds later in value. So right. I did something cute. I'm a little late in speed. I could use an outfielder. He's an upside guy, prospect pedigree, but he wasn't my target. Right. Uh, Mike, mm. Mike the mouth, Mike the mouth draft. Uh, I was in the back end. And if you don't do things a certain way, you can really get short on speed, unfortunately, at the turn. So that's one where round five, it was late. I took a Rose Arena, one team. And I still think he might justify that and break even, but it wasn't a target. It was just... And in auction, I don't got to do that. I got right. money. I can buy guys. So that's the reason. And I think people are missing the boat not doing auctions, especially really smart players that are good players. You know what? Absolutely. Stay in your snake drafts. I'll stay in my auctions. But <laughs> you guys know the players. Why do you go into a snake draft with me and I jump a guy by a round when you can go win that guy in an auction? So I think you're crazy if you're not doing the auctions. Never mind the live auction experience is worth the, in, the uh, entry fee alone. Right. So. You know, so two, two answers there. And again, I'm taking most of my targets. I'm very religious around that in an auction, but in a snake, there's always one to two guys you got to take because something happens or the tears clearing out there. Right. Right. Okay. Thank you. Such a great point. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's the best thing about the auctions. I, I should have, I should have gotten into one this year, next year, maybe that's, that's what I'll do. I'll scrap a main and I'll get into an auction because it just feels like uh, it's so much fun. I do, I do some of the the one fifty ones, you know, online, and they're fun. Just to, just because I do love the auction experience, so yeah. I got to, um, I got to, I got to get into that next year for sure. You know, that sounds like a that sounds like a thing to put on my to do list for sure. You know, um, you you mentioned um, you mentioned the one league where you said you you fab bid for your draft pick. Yes. Really? So the platinum. Yeah. So how that works. And this is such a cool little thing. Yeah, is, you know, we, love, we love, we love KDS. I think that's much better than randomized. So NFBC has already nailed it, but the platinum because of the stakes players do want a little bit more control and it being a snake draft. So what we do is we auction the draft slot and it comes out of your thousand fab dollars. So, that's so you know, cool. for, so for example, like pick one this year, I think went for 300 plus fab dollars, right? Pick, 
pick two. And by the way, that was low from historical context in the platinum. There's been years it's been five, 600, which generally I'm not a fan of. I think, you know, obviously fab dollars are super valuable. Yeah. Um, but I, I did take pick two and I got it for 170. And my thought in that draft was mm. like a lot of people, I want one of the speed power bats early. I just feel much more comfortable building my speed base, doing it that way. And from a 170 sounds like a lot, but prior years, that was a $300 plus pick. And, you know, the 15th pick will be $10, for example. Uh, he's smarter than most of us, but Casey Cha never opens his wallet, always <laughs> settles for whatever's 10 bucks, and usually wins the league. So um, don't take it from me which, which way you should be going here. But it's a very cool part of That's that great. league. Um, and it just, you know, it makes it fun. And usually, we didn't do it this year, but in the past, Greg would get a suite reserved at the Bellagio. We would all go up on like a Thursday night. So it's almost like a little event. People are yelling, screaming, bidding. So, you know, we all love that stuff anyway, the way our brains are <laughs> wired to yeah, play sure. these types of games. But it's a nice, cool wrinkle. So is it, is it that he goes in order? He says, okay, we're, we're going to pick one first and that's bid. And then once somebody wins that, you go to pick two. Is that how it works? So... We've done both both ways, actually. That's a great question. This year, we changed it, it. This year, you nominated what pick, and then you bid. We used to go straight yeah. one through 15. And when you go one through 15, it's just the most money goes on one, followed by two, followed by three. We wanted it this year where I can call out pick eight, $10. Cool. So we I did it, you. which, which again, that was just based on whatever the masses wanted to do. So you could call out any number and throw out the pick. And that's how we did it this year. I, got you. I okay. like that. Okay. I like that. I like the way you did it this year better. You know, that's, that's cool because I think there's more, it might be a little more thinking involved, you know, whether you want to jump, you know, whether if it's on like, you know, pick seven and you're like, I don't know if it's a good price. And I think there's more like strategy involved to even something that has a lot of strategy already, you know, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, what, what I've seen in the past, and we all know, maybe not this year in particular, but there's always kind of this break where after pick five, six, seven, eight, it drops, right? So, you know, when you're bidding, you'll think, oh, I'm just going to wait. It'll be a little cheaper, pick seven, pick eight. But five people in the room are thinking the same way you do. I need right. to right. jump in before pick eight. So sometimes it backfires and that pick will go for more money. You are better off buying the pick before you, of course. Right. Yeah. Because uh, again, where everybody's reading the same information has the same list. So, but again, and I've done both. Uh, I think this will be my fourth year in the platinum. And, you know, for years, I just said, go to the back, be cheap, maximize fab. I've paid up twice for it. You know, to me, I don't have a, a description of what I'm going to do going forward. It's going to depend on the player pool and how I feel. I, the one thing is for sure, I'm not going to spend, you know, three, four, five hundred dollars. I'll just never do that. Right. But, you know, I thought it was worth it this year to spend a little more. Pick two, Jose Ramirez. And then it's right into the draft, right? That's not done at a, like a like a like an earlier time. It's right before the draft. One day before. So you're thinking oh, of one Mike day the before. Mouth, which okay. we do Mike the Mouth five minutes before that. You grab a ball, you walk to your seat. But yep. this is literally one day before in Vegas. So you don't have a lot of time, but you do get one day. Gotcha. That's, nice. that's, that's nice. cool. That's that's, yeah, that's yeah. cool to know. Um, so one thing about the NFPC that's awesome, obviously, everything is accessible on on the site. You know, you can look at standings, you can look at historical data, um, how a specific you know um, player is. You know, you can look at his historical teams, um, which is really cool. It's just one thing that when I really started to learn about the site and and look around, like wow, this is pretty fascinating that all this stuff is here. You know, so you instantly start seeing names and earnings. You know. 
top earnings and, you know, and you look back at years and you just see all the winners. Um, and given the, like the, I, I feel like when I look at the past high stakes leagues, like it's even more of a, um, the same guys in those leagues. And I was just wondering, like, you know, is that something that you use to your benefit or like keeping like maybe notes of tendencies of other players if they like to draft a specific way, you know, like, do you use that to your advantage, Jason? Uh, absolutely. I wouldn't necessarily say it's an advantage, but right, yeah. as I do in particular, more than most folks can say this, I draft with a lot of the same people. I mean, you know, there, there's someone, for example, he's one of the best high stake players, quietest guys, nicest guys in the world, John Stadmiller. He was in five out of my five leagues this year. All five. Wow. All five. So wow. Yeah. You got you to gotta pay attention a little bit. And there is major tendencies here that people have. And I'm not saying that I can outwit them, but I want to know what they're looking at. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we mentioned before the legend KC. KC's got his guys. I, I, it was funny. Whoever I'm sitting next to in a draft, I'll, I'll just tell them typically. Chris Bryant comes up. Watch this guy over here. You know, yeah. you yeah. just know it's going to happen. <laughs> Um, and you know, and then there's the people like, you know, uh, one of the best players, great dudes, Modica, he just is an open book and I'll give that guy credit what he says he does. So, yep. uh, him taking Max Freed and the Mike, the mouth ultimate didn't surprise me. I don't know about you guys, right. no, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, so, so again, and it doesn't mean, cause I think you're a guppy and you're a fish. If you're going to do something crazy, cause Cha or Modica or Gecko does it. I just want to know what they do in their tendencies, because if I know that they're on the same player, I, I got to figure that out. Maybe I want to, if it's an auction, get them out early, figure out if this is going to be part of my team or yours. Right. Or I think the biggest benefit is the late game. Uh, again, I'm not looking to see who Phil's Robbie Ray is this year. I'm looking to see if Phil likes a pitcher in round 29 that I don't like. Why? Because I got to go home at night and deep dive this guy to make sure I miss something. That's how you use that information sure, solely. Sure. If you change your own rankings based on that, you, you're done. You're already lost in my yeah, eyes. Yeah. Right, right. Yes, yeah. so they. You know, you got to be firm in your in your approach and your ranks. You can't get swayed too easily. But I think whenever um, I see an analyst I respect or you know a player that I know like has consistent success, even if it's a guy I don't agree with, I will like you said, like you just go and look and like, all right, what am I missing here? You know, because I think it's just part of like analyzing anything in general. You know, you mm-hmm. you want to go that extra step and and it's just like, you know, there's sometimes where I'll just pick a like random couple of guys or a position and dive into, you know, that and and if just do it with, you know, a player that you may not be on. Because like you said, like, what am I missing here? Is there a skill set that I'm missing? Is there a playing time opportunity I'm missing? So yeah. I think it's definitely, um, yeah, because it's so cool. Like you said, you're in five, you know, five of the same leagues with John. And it's just, um, it it almost reminds me of like having that home, you know, like a home league, like a home keeper league. Like you, like you said, you know, the tendencies or, you know, you know, who, who might go for a specific player or a specific build. And um, yeah, obviously it's not, it doesn't mean you're going to win because you know, these things, but just to have it in your you know back pocket is, is awesome. And it's just, again, adds another layer, you know, of what we have to think about when we're constructing these teams to try to beat everybody else. Yep. Yeah. And, and the other thing I've learned through the years is there might be a player in your league that you just, you just lock and sync on the same types of players. You know, I'll always joke with him and he knows it, but Mike major, who's one of the most unheralded players, top five in my eyes, yeah, soon to be Hall of Famer one day. He's awesome. Yep. And 
me and him are always on the same players. Like I, I literally want to punch him when he sits near me on the track. <laughs> um, and I tell him that, and he tells me the same thing. And, you know, last year it was like Simeon and Eovaldi where we basically just took turns. You got Eovaldi here, I'm taking him next. You took Simeon here, I'm taking him next. Obviously, those are success stories. I'm wrong a lot. But, you know, there are players like that, that you're either, you know, you're reading the same information, you're a disciple of some sort of formula, and you like the same types of players. And, yeah. you know, I've learned to sort of identify who in the room kind of fits my style. And there are a couple players. I mean, I bring up Mike. He's again, me and him just, he looks at my team. He walked in the first auction in Vegas and he was giggling. And he said, I just took this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. In my draft. So it's fascinating how that stuff happens, but he's a damn good player. Yeah. I, I, every time I see Mike draft, whether it's an auction or, or snake draft, you know, the last few guys he takes, I look at them and I go, wow, each one of those was a, was a pick with meaning. It wasn't like a throwaway. He, he really, pulls out guys some guys that i forget are around and he's always making good picks right through the entire draft yeah right i i, he, I love that me. no rounds he, 24 to 30 i obsess over almost in a bad way like that's my favorite part of the draft looking back and again you can put all the work into it and the chances of success on those guys is still going to be slim but i appreciate that comment because I, I try i like to think i take pride in those late picks like round 28 i had a reason a purpose and I yeah. like that pick when I take them. I'm not just, oh, that and this was de- a depth play. And hey, I could be wrong and dump the guy in a no, week. But, but at least you, at least you're doing it for for a reason. And then exactly if it, if it proves wrong, okay, it proves wrong. But you, you had something in mind. Yeah, exactly. I, I those late picks just bring you so much joy. I say it a lot about my draft champions. Like I have I will forever have memories of 43rd round picks giving me, even if it's 23 innings, you know of like 18 Ks. I'll remember that when I was able to start that player and he did that, I'll just like, that gives me so much joy. And so those later round picks in in my first online championship I did this year, um, it was in February, early in February. And um, there was, there was a couple of podcasts, um, James Anderson podcast were talking about Matt Brash and, you know, I had like my draft two nights later and I looked into this kid and like in the 30th round, I was like, boom, it was like, you know, I was like, let me just take this guy. You know, the season is so far away. But if you make a team like he's saying and he's got this wicked arsenal, who knows, you know, and when it started the game's theme, I was like, oh, this 30th pick is so cool. Like, you know, it might work out, you know, he might not be the best, but it's just uh, like you said, those late picks when you have a desire to, uh, you know, go go a certain way or go for like a gem that maybe you like no one else is on. It's uh, it's, it's pretty cool. It's, it's way more fun than a couple of the guys I identified like, Oh, I'll just use this guy for two weeks. You know, like Carlos Santana had like a lot of games in the first two weeks and a decent schedule, but he just stunk. And I'm like, that's sticking in my head. Like why did I waste my pick on this guy? You know? <laughs> oh man. But, um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about your roster construction um, you know, like some of the staples that you put into building a team, Jason, I did notice that on every team, um, this year you punted saves and I wanted to know if that's something that was just a this year thing or is just, uh, is that something you do a lot? 
Yeah, I, I've done it a lot, but it's uh, it's a strategy I reevaluate every year based on the dynamics that I see. Right, uh, yeah. and I would say, although on draft day I might have punted, um, I, I just added the most dominant relief pitcher two weeks ago, uh, Gecko's boy for a dollar. So uh, I'm, I'm in the saves business now, uh, nice. Ryan Helsley, of course. <laughs> right, but um, really, what my thought was this year, and again, I'm not in a big overall like the main event. So this right. is my perspective is much different than your perspective per se. I would not do the same thing there, but more than ever, this is the year where you walk out of the draft feeling like you have holes. I just don't know how you can walk out and feel like you nailed starting pitching and saves and stolen bases. You know, I, I, I know uh, Matt Modica says a lot on podcasts, you know, Jupinka, you know, always says you're going to walk away, you know, feeling bad about one category. That's life. Well, this year, I think you walk away and you have a couple of holes. So I'd rather just throw a hole into one category, lay it on the other nine categories but in my leagues, what's interesting is not everybody's going hardcore for saves in that 80th percentile. So right. I've already picked up a couple points in leagues with one save, literally. So I'm just going to wait and see. I mean, you know, I can pounce and grab a second closer potentially. I can get two, three points. I don't have to win the category. But, you know, in these leagues, and, and also, although I play for first place, the platinum and the diamond pay four spots also. And there's very unique strategies, you know, Main events are very textbook to me, meaning the classic build has a couple starting pitches up top. Everyone's got closers. Everyone tries for balance. Not in these leagues I'm doing. I mean, you might see seven bats in a row on one team, seven pitches in a row on one team, two people punting uh, saves. So again, that's kind of been typical in the leagues I've been doing. So I haven't necessarily given up on it, but you know, I'm slowly adding right now. And as far as your, your second question on kind of roster construction staples, uh, this is where I think I'm very consistent year over year. Uh, I am very risk adverse. I joke with uh, Dr. Dave McDonald. I know he gets a lot of grief for his injury <laughs> takes, but I'm not going to lie. I am like lock and sync with him on like 99% of his injury takes how he feels. I just don't put it out there like he does. So yes. I'm, I am never going to be the guy who owns Tatis DeGrom, and I'm talking three months ago, not, you know, before these recent injuries, I'll never have Bobby Witt types. I'll never have uh, Mondesi types. Uh, I focused early, you know, boring stuff. We all do. Stolen bases, average, and aces. That's kind of my core build at the top. Mm -hmm. um, you know, diver diversifying my top shelf assets is paramount. So, you know, with these types of leagues and the stakes at hand, I'm sorry, you can't go grab your favorite pitcher on every team if he costs third round or $25. So right. I do have to be careful there, meaning, you know, I walk into, well, this year was the second weekend was New York. And I just knew there were some players that I had to wave by to that I just had maximum exposure. I right. couldn't take. Uh, and again, you got to be careful with that because you do want to take your players. But Hey, now we're all dealing with injuries now that the season starts. And boy, does it stink when you're moving a player out of 60% of your rosters versus 20%. So <laughs> it's easy to talk a big game until the season happens. Now, you know, I'm glad I diversified. And I wonder if I even diversified enough. And again, I'm talking about higher round players. You want to take your round 30 guy everywhere, have fun with it. Right. Um, and the other spot as a staple is Nathan Ivaldi's my ace. <laughs> yeah, baby. <laughs> Lock it up. Big Nate. Oh, I love Nate dog. I got a lot of Nate this year. He's a stud. He's, he's so awesome. I, I thought he, again, he got a lot of respect this year draft day. Um, I just think he had the most unfair reputation of injury prone. I mean, his last major injury was 2016. He needed Tommy John from it. 
couple of years later, he had the loose bodies. But even in Vegas, chit-chatting with people. Oh, he's injury prone. And you're not paying attention if he's injury prone. I mean, how far and back in history do you want to go? I'm, <laughs> I, can, I can only look a couple of years out. If you were healthy <laughs> yeah. last year, you ended the year healthy, you're healthy now. You're, you're healthy. good in my book. So, yep. again, with Eovaldi, it was somewhat of a game of chicken because, uh, you know, eighth round, seventh round, I had him kind of ranked where the third, fourth round pitchers were, but I wasn't going to take him there. So, with right. him, that was one where, because of auctions and the power of auctions, I had three auctions, two snake drafts. Every auction, I got him, and I wasn't losing him. I think I joked, I told Phil in the diamond auction, he was sitting outside in Vegas. I don't know what it was, but I, you should never do this. Don't go into a draft having one guy that you got to take, and no right. matter what. Right. But I did that with the Evaldi and diamond auction, meaning I knew, I said, this is my biggest auction. If I don't come home with my guy, I suck. So... I knew his price was, you know, $14, $15. I said to myself, I'm like, if, if someone wants to go head to head, I will stand up at 20 bucks and go to 25 yelling at you in the room. Now it stopped at 17. So someone saved me eight bucks, but I was ready to go out in the parking lot to bid on that guy. Right. And so, right. you know, and again, it was just one of those guys, you know, you got the gut feel, it's your favorite team, uh, et cetera. But that's the power of auctions where I just got them in every auction and the snake drafts. I did other things because I couldn't have five out of five. If yeah, I right. give you three out of, in my world, if you get a three out of five shares, you have the strongest endorsement from Jason. <laughs> you are all in, right? If you get a three out of five, that's my guy. That's my guy. Right. I saw that on when I was looking at your teams, you know, um, I know you have David Peterson on four of your teams, but I don't know if that was a pickup more than a um, than than a draft. Um, but you did have, you know, uh, Danny Jansen, um, Kike Hernandez, Trent Grisham, Will Myers, um, and then a nice cluster of pitchers that were going in the same area in Cobb, Matt, Hauser and Okiti. Um, and like you mentioned, it's you know, you could gang up on the lower heads of guys and get three, three of them, you know, and it doesn't really hurt you as much as the top, top guys. But, um, you know, um, it, what going forward, what do you feel about Trent Grisham this year? Is he something that you, is he a guy that you're kind of worried about right now? Huh. On one hand, I mean, you have to be a little worried on the other hand, I feel like he has a ton of job security. There's just nothing there. Right. And the, man the manager actually had some quotes the other day that were very kind of optimistic in terms of, he's our guy, we want to keep him at leadoff, even versus lefties. So I love all that. And again, he, he was a target of mine because the name of the game is, is finding these speed assets. So I saw him as a guy he didn't have to take in the first five rounds that potentially could lead off, has shown us he has this 2020-ish in him. So... I'm not writing that pick off. I'm being a little careful now. I mean, I know they've sat him for some lefties, but he doesn't have terrible platoon spits. I don't think he has to be that type of player. So oh. that'd, be a, that'd be a guy if I was drafting today, I'd be buying on the discount. But obviously it's not a good start. And, you know, the killer with him is you draft him for stolen bases, number one, and he has zero. So I got to stick with him. Yeah. yeah. I still think he has potential. I, I've always liked Grisham. I don't have him this year at all, but. Um, I just, I always believed in him, even though he has underperformed the last couple of years, I have to admit. Yeah. Yeah. That's the biggest thing is that maybe it's that short season is holding too much in a lot of people's minds about what he's capable of, but you definitely have the security, like you mentioned, you know, he, um, I don't think you'll see him, you know, sitting 
versus lefties too much going forward because, you know, the rosters will get shrunk down. He'll probably have to be in there more often. But, um, you know, dropping down to ninth might be a more common thing, you know, on some days. But, um, yeah, he was uh, he was going in the same spot as Badu. And I know a lot of people, you know, I think I wonder if the 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 drive to get the speed, you know, drives players like them up, you know, even a little bit more than they, you know, they might be worth, you know, who knows? I always wonder about those guys that kind of, have, you know, they're like more shiny toys, uh, like what they can do than what we might, you know, should be expecting from them. But um, what, so I saw you have Danny Jansen on um three of your teams. Right. And, and um, so you carried him through this, you know, him being on the I IL, I did too. Um, I held him in two of my fab leagues. Um, didn't start. I, at first I was even considering like maybe starting him this week to pick up an extra guy. Cause I saw he picked up a, a bat and started swinging. So I wanted to ask you about, do you ever like use, um, you know, and, um, with a catcher, just maybe if you don't want to carry that third guy, you know, taking his error for a week or two, is that something you ever done? Or is that a consistent thing that you may try if uh, you don't want to carry too many catchers? I, I hate doing it. I very, very rarely do it. I did it this week with Jansen on one of the three. Two of the three, I have a catcher in for him. But yeah. it was just a matter of, I had to cheat it a little bit. I had some tough cuts. I, you know, like a lot of us, I have a couple rosters with six IL guys. So yep. it was either I cut someone I like, or I get zeros uh, from that spot. But normally, and I know I've seen very successful players take zeros and do it for weeks or even months. I don't do that. I, I just feel like I'm missing out on counting stats. So I generally always have a full roster, but this was one moment that, you know, this week in particular, one out of my three Jansen teams, uh, you know, I have uh, I have Jansen in there. And it looks the good news is it looks like next week, you know, knock on wood, we should be okay to slide him in and, and he'll be back. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, I But on that team, you have Huascar Noah. And I'm wondering about Huascar Noah. And, um, you know, do you feel confident that not only he comes back up soon, but, you know, can be a little bit more effective than the way he started off this year. Like what, what, what was, uh, cause I, I see he was on a couple of your teams. So I'm wondering what, what was the big, biggest draw coming into the season for a guy like, Noah? Yeah. So he was a kind of a later target and I, mm -hmm. I'd say I drafted him twice. So I liked them, but I fabbed him twice this week as well. Oh, wow. Um, again, okay. I, 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 the way I look at him is number one, um, the Braves just sent down Muller who walked the park. Uh, Eldred, who they had before, was was terrible. Nothing against him and his family, but he was wretched. I'm not worried about him. Um, I think Anoa's got to be the guy, and I, I think he's going to come up this weekend. Who's pitching against Milwaukee? So I love – I mean, again, he had two starts, three-plus innings. One was against the Dodgers. The other one I can't even recall. I mean, talk about a short lease to send the kid down, but he's got his slider, and it's been a little off this year, I think is literally like a top-five pitch in baseball. It's that filthy. And there was that period last year. I didn't own him, but he had a couple months that were flat out filthy dominant. So, you know, again, I, I try to grab, like a lot of people, I try to grab pitchers on good teams. Look at the fab waiver wire. How many guys are on Arizona, Baltimore, and Colorado for pitchers? It, it oh. feels like it's all the horrific teams. So you right. give me a guy on the Braves that has talent, has done it for a couple of months, uh, all day. So, yeah, I got him on. I picked him up this week and no one else, you know, there wasn't much attention on him, but I was like, even if I had to stash him for a couple of weeks, 
Um, and yeah, he, hey, the safe play would be he's on my bench for his next start. I mean, those first two starts were gross. But I, what I always think of to kind of clear your head is forget the last two weeks. Go back to one month ago, your happy thoughts when you thought about this player. We're mm. only a month later. Right. Go back one month ago, how you looked at this player. We're so jaded over 14% of the season that's occurred, making all these rash judgments. But I'm sorry, unless you lose your job, which he did temporarily, or you're injured, I shouldn't change my opinion on you. Right. I that's agree. a great that's a great point because that's something we all do a little too much is you know, we take six weeks to being in on a guy and then it took, you know, three starts to just <laughs> say like, oh, I'm done with you. But um yeah, yeah you know, and nowhere it's tough because he had the, you know, like that nice little flash and he was he looked really good last year. Um and one thing that you know that I like to look at the baseball HQ really highlights is the ball ball percentage. Um and th- this year 45 percent of his pitches have been balls as compared to 35 last year and so um not putting in first pitch strikes so i think you know if you could work on that and it's probably what's you know just go down clear that up and come back up and you know they're going to try to get some more effectiveness out of him and it's it's weird too it's not like something i really look at but for pitches uh but zone swing percentage and the league average is 68 percent and last year he was at 66 this year that 84 so it seems like the batters even knew uh, when, you know, like he he was just off and just hitting everything that came in the zone. So um, that, you know, I think that's something that can, you know, come back. And because he's interesting, he's available in a couple of my leagues. And he was just a guy that, you know, I didn't, it's hard to me to, um, you know, value these guys. I'm, I'm trying to decide if it's worth a scoop or not. But um, <laughs> he actually have, had two. He had two rehab starts. So the first one, he was horrible again. It was more of the old. But on Sunday, uh, Gwinnett, AAA, he actually pitched very, very good. And I was happy that wasn't a blurb or a tweet on Rotowire. Like, I was digging into that game all day uh, <laughs> to try to see what to bid. You know, one blurb right. or tweet, and then there you go, on, whether we're right or wrong on it. So, right. so yeah, but like, like I said, I, and again, I'll look at it this way, too. If I could tell you uh, – Six weeks ago, that around, let's call him 18 pick is available for almost free on free agency after two starts. Are you interested? I am. So again, again, put your mindset, whether you were on the, and again, here's the time I was on him before the draft, but during fab, you don't have to be my guy for me to be interested. I'll take players I didn't like in the off season. Now, Hey, there's a limited inventory pool. So I I like the Noah, I'll continue adding shares to him. But even if I didn't, in fab, all is fair game. I'm bidding on everything that has a heartbeat and pulse. Right. <laughs> right. Amen to that. I like that. Um, one thing I forgot to ask you when you were talking about, you mentioned um, the saves. I had to jot it down on my little scratch pad. I forgot to ask you, but I want to ask you before I forget, um, you know, talking about the the league that doesn't have an overall. And like you said, the main event is a scripted kind of like, you know, draft that you know what's going to come up um, in people's builds. But in, in the league that don't have the overalls, like you mentioned, if you can just scratch, you're not um, – if you could just get five or six saves, um, you know, instead of uh, five or six save points and just try to, you know, get it through fab, spend less draft capital on the closers and just, you know, smash hitting and pitching. Um, but when – do you have like a – do you keep like a historical of like what it takes to get five or six saves usually in those leagues? Like, or that's something like you just say, Hey, you know, if I could just gather up 20 saves across the course of the year, I might be able to get five save points. 
I really have to evaluate it based on who punts at the draft. I mean, again, all my leagues have multiple people like me, by the way. I'm not the only one. Right. But uh, it really matters on how much effort I get. So if there's one point to gain, two points to gain, uh, that's fine. And usually what I'll do is wait till the end of the year and try to scrap something to get Mm -hmm. that point or two. But there's a couple unicorn relief pitchers right now that fit my style very well. Even if they don't get saves, Again, when you punt, you need to dominate wins and strikeouts. You have to dominate them or you have no chance. So if I'm throwing a relief pitcher into the mix, it's got to be lights out strikeouts. Hence, Ryan uh, Helsley, uh, for example, or I grabbed Devin Williams in two leagues. Again, these are $1 pickups. I literally paid $1. I'm not going to use hundreds of dollars to pick up saves. That defeats the purpose, in my opinion, of my strategy. But I think there's going to be plenty of opportunities with cheap saves out there. So... I'm not going to be heartbroken if I end up with one point in saves as well. When I go in with the strategy, I realize that I could potentially be punting and never get a second point, and that's fine. And again, it's not as easy as it looks. There's been so many people have tried this. you got to be so perfect in so many places, of course. Um, and where it's failed me in the past, if I fail, is my ratios get blown up. Think about streaming pitchers and how awful that experience is in a, in yeah, a 15 sure. format. Imagine throwing nine players out a week. Uh, you know, we talk about the Gombers and the Maddie Wood tweets. Yeah, I probably yeah. get more of those than anyone when I'm throwing nine starters out there. So, uh, I, I, and again, this is why I reevaluate too, meaning I am right. not dead set that this is my strategy next year, the year after. And believe it or not, I think this strategy, the peak value of it would have been like five, 10 years ago. I think people are so much smarter with saves where I don't have as big of a, an advantage doing this because, you know, I, I see people like Mark paying for one closer, punting the rest, and then potentially grabbing these, you know, Duran and Helsley gems for cheap two weeks, three weeks ago and getting all this value. So, I, I, again, I got to go back to the drawing board and see if it makes sense. But I just, you know, in general, I root for chaos with saves. I want bullpens yeah. on fire outside of Boston. <laughs> Yeah, I want you to spend everything in fab. <laughs> um, but, but people are getting so much smarter on that front. I, 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 it almost, I hate it, but I see these people just, you know, we all can gang up the Merriweather example last year, week one. That doesn't happen that much anymore. Saves no. are so much cheaper, in my opinion. Uh, there's a lot more of them available. There's a lot of wasted money. But 10 years ago, it was people would drop $300 on the closer of the week, 300 bucks. Mm-hmm. And now it's rare and things just get so cheap as the summer comes on. So I got to be open-minded with it. But as I said, I had a reason behind doing it. Uh, and I look at it this way as well in my leagues. You might be playing for 10 categories, but I can look at your team and know you're dead in the water in one of them. You punted and you didn't even know you were doing it. Mm-hmm. I at least know I did it, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. you, you, you can look at a team. Let, let, let's call one out. If you have no saves on draft day, you're dead in saves. You're not going to make that up. You're not going to. So you might have thought you were going to get saves and you're well-balanced, but you're not. So I just identify an issue on day one and throw up a zero is the way I look at it. But like I said, I just had a feeling this year more than ever you, there's so many, you know, metric offensive numbers are going one way. Pitching's going another winds are more difficult. Right. I just think you walk out with a couple of weaknesses because I even going for nine categories felt weak in a category or two walking out. And that's actually a very rare feeling. In my opinion, mm-hmm. I usually walk out right or wrong feeling like I gave up that category, but I am awesome in nine others. And I don't feel that way this year. So it'll be interesting, you know, how it works out. Um, 
And like yeah. I said, you know, my, my hope is knock on wood. I, I get in the saves business and add a couple, but otherwise I'll be stronger in other areas. You got to look at it both sides. Right. Yeah. How, yeah. how do, how are you judging at the, after the, at the um, end of the draft, you know, what you feel like you're strong and behind on, are you tallying up like a projection of stats or do you have like a skill set base that you like to reach? You know, how do you determine like, when you look at your team and say, I, I might have high ratios or, you know, I might be short on power. Yeah, it's, it's very rough, of course. I use projections and I'm just looking at just making sure I'm not missing the mark for counting stats. Batting average, of course, I can't run that off in my head as I'm drafting. I don't use draft software. I use my own kind of Excel system that I've created. So it's very right. rough. I've learned to not be strict to that, meaning in years past, I would look at that and I would see that my batting average was low and I would have to buy Michael Brantley, for example. Right. So it's just so I'm not missing the mark on one particular area. Ratios, I could care less. Projected ratios always look better than reality in my 100%. opinion. So, yep. uh, yeah, right. You know, I got to make sure I'm getting the strikeouts, of course. That doesn't, if you're either a strikeout pitcher or you're not, uh, you know, sometimes there's surprises there, but I just track loosely those numbers. But Again, uh, I think where the smart players get it with the projections is the projections are either overestimating or underestimating playing time a lot. And you got to see through that because there's a reason projections look one way or another a lot. And sure. usually to me, it's playing time. Yeah, definitely. So is, um, so you use the, uh, are you using a set to guide your player ranks? Is that what you're using? Like, how do you build your overall player ranks? Yeah, so that, that's a labor of love. And I've literally probably had the same process since day one, I have this crazy customized Excel spreadsheet. And honestly, it's just a manual ranking. Um, I use everything. I look at everything, projections, mm -hmm. HQ. If you gave me, if you said you only got one thing you can use the rest of your life, it would be baseball HQ. Uh, I started with them. I love them. That's my number one. But, you know, I'm looking at everything, you know, the savants of the world, uh, right. you know, obviously fan graphs. So, I, I like to look at a little bit of everything. I know there's certain projection engines that are projections that are better for pitching, better for hitting. But honestly, it's it's in the reality is I'm doing deep dives on every single player and right. I'm literally tweaking. So, you know, again, baseball is year round for me, by the way. I'm a one sport fan. So, you know, I'm constantly just literally it could be November 1st, December 15th. Every day I'm moving a guy up, moving a guy down, deep diving. So, you know, I could literally let off you know, rattle off a hundred items I look at, but at the end of the no, day, yeah, yeah. What, what, what I don't want. And again, there's been very successful players who don't watch the games. They have projection engines, they spit out numbers and they draft those players. That to me personally is not fun. I never want to get right. to that point where I'm following right. a projection and taking the top guy. I love baseball so much. I actually love watching it <laughs> even right. more than playing. So I, I, the human element, the kind of common sense, I like to add that flavor with projections and, you know, I think projections, listen, they're the best we have. They're the most accurate thing we can look at, but they miss the mark a lot. They miss the mm -hmm. mark on younger players. Always, you know, you can't, it's usually linear growth or, you know, they don't know how to project younger players. Um, and again, there's certain types of players that their skill sets don't usually relate to their end of year numbers, the Kyle mm -hmm. Hendricks of the world, the Chris Bassett's mm -hmm. of the world. So you got to see those nuances and take it with a grain of salt. Nothing used to crack me up more, and I think we've kind of lost these players. But my favorite thing in drafts would be, if you had the guts to do it, there'd be a guy on Rotolab who'd finish the draft and say, I just won by 15 points. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> that gets you best. nothing. That gets you nothing. Exactly. And again, if, if you don't 
And that just tells me that that guy was taking the top guy on the Roto Lab list yeah, at the that's highest projected that value. That's all that means. So yeah, I yeah, just get yeah. a kick out of that. And, you know, we all know we've seen that. I, I just crack up because it's just so amazing how differently things are today. And, you know, four, five, six weeks later from when we drafted. Like, can you imagine drafting today how different <laughs> things would be? It's, it's amazing. No, it makes no, the game fun. Crazy. So, so uh, Jason, my main event partner you might know is James Anderson, who's great great uh, talent evaluator. And uh, just to back you up, I mean, he doesn't go by solely the numbers. He, he watches these guys, he gets video, he does an evaluation and sure he looks at strikeout rates and other, other stuff. But, you know, when he says to me that he likes a certain guy, he's seen them play. And so I, I believe that you have an inherent advantage by actually watching baseball and seeing it go out and it's not always the things that show up in the strikeout rate or some other stat that might be helpful but it's not the only thing yeah i agree and it can be painful sometimes to watch the player to know if he would have caught it if he didn't make the error it would have been a better outcome but you right. know david peterson we were talking about him earlier prime example today he gave up three earned runs he got the win that's a victory in my eyes he gave up zero earned runs First inning, there was a bogus call that could not be reviewed on a foul ball that they called fair. One run right. came in after the fact. And yep. then he he botched himself a double play cookie to the mound. Uh, you can't always assume the double play, which I hate. And two runs after the fact scored. So if you look at the box score, you're saying, eh, it's mediocre, three earned runs. I'm looking at it saying, he pitched pretty damn good. It should have been zero earned runs. Right. So I think there's a lot to be said for that, watching the game and seeing how your pitcher got to that line. The box score says a lot, but it doesn't tell the whole story. Yeah. Amen to that. Absolutely. Um, that's why I was so big on Bryson Stott this year. He, <laughs> he played with the Phillies affiliate, and it's it's nearby to me. So I saw him play like seven times last year, and I just loved him. Like I loved what I saw from him. He just looked like a professional player. You know, he was just good at everything, not great at any one thing, but just there was nothing that he did – um, without ease on the field. So, you know, that just gets, I'm not James Anderson. I'm not a scout at all, but, um, you know, just, you know, you, you see it with your own eyes and you're like, Oh yeah, I love this kid, you know? And even if he's on the Phillies, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, it was like, it was really drawn to him. Um, but yeah. Um, Jason, I was wondering some, I know I heard a lot of people say like, you know, they know their strengths and weaknesses in the drafts and, and, and in season, and they like tailor their whole strategy to fit that, like, you know, being good at, you know, streaming pitchers or being good at finding saves. Um, is there something that you feel like, you know, that you're strong at or better at or weaker at and you're like trying to get better in certain areas or, you know, like, this is what I do good. I'm going to stick to it. And then this is how I'm going to chip away during the season. Yeah, again, there's always a lot to learn, always can get better. Um, I, my biggest challenge, and I think this is a challenge for most is finding reasonable starting pitching off waiver wire. Um, it's one thing picking up a pitcher this week, a Chad cool, cause he's facing Arizona. That's easy. That's not hard. He could blow up or he could be good. It's finding mm -hmm. the pitchers that you can have for multiple weeks that can help you. Right. It's, it's a rough game. And I probably pick up more than more of them than you. If I don't have relief pitches, of course, but I've just realized long, long ago, I, I can, and not believe me, every week I'm, I'm trying, I'm looking at every pitcher available. I'm doing deep dives. It's so hard. You know, my, my best year uh, ever, I got 
I got lucky. I got Ross Stripling and Hermaine Marquez on every team, and they both were unbelievable. But that's a unicorn fab pickup. So based on that, I try to make a point of starting pitching depth. I'm mm-hmm. not saying I'm putting more money into it. I'm saying you might have a better one, two, three starting pitcher than me, but my four, five, six, seven, eight, nine are better than yours. So sure. I just try to extend the rotation a little bit. So that's yeah. an adjustment. I used to always cheat starting pitching. I try to go cheap, skills, Lima plan, but you had to adapt or you got crushed years ago in the NFBC. But uh, in the regular season, you know, it's a war of attrition. Um, You know, we see that even a couple weeks in here. So more depth on uh, on that. And I would say, I guess, although I don't think it's easy, but, you know, if I'm chasing um, offensive counting stats, that's kind of where I want to be if I'm going to chase one area. Um, you know, I'm not saying there's been any really great hitters out there so far this year, but if there's something I want to chase, I just don't want it to be starting pitching. I think that's a losing proposition. Yeah. Uh, again, I know you can always pull a miracle and maybe fab a Logan Webb in week one last year or something like that. But at the end of the day, if you don't have starting pitching on draft day, I think you're dead more than likely. Yeah, so sorry. that's the tweak, the biggest tweak I've given myself, um, you know, in-season management, um, I know there's a lot of great players here, but I think I do that well. Uh, it's not for lack of effort if I fail. Uh, I'm always right. looking at that Monday to Thursday. I spend so much time on that. The Friday, I mean, I look at it as bi-week, bi-weekly events. Um, and I'm looking a couple weeks out as well. You know, I, I really do forward think here with this game, meaning multiple weeks out. I mean, you can't get obsessed over pitching spots because things change there, but right. um you know, and, and again, I, I think where I'm trying to get better and I see the best players doing it is the cutting guys earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is where, yes. you know, I'll, I'll point out a couple of players. And I, I always I think one of the valuable lessons with Fab is, you know, it's fun to see who you got. But I always go and look at other people. I mean, there's a couple people I respect and I'll always check out what they did every week just in different leagues. And it's interesting because they just tend to be a week before the masses, a week mm-hmm. before with pickups, but most important, a week before with cuts. Right. You know, I, I keep mentioning his name, uh, the great Casey Cha. He has such bold cuts a week before everybody does. And, and Steve mm-hmm. Jupinka does the same thing. Uh, Gecko does the same thing. Um, and, and, you know, you look back and usually they're right. And that's yeah. the spot about it is I track my fab pickups and, you know, uh, subtractions, but I always go back after the year and I look at, how many players did I cut that I actually regret? And it's mm-hmm. incredible how few are on that list. So it tells me I got to be more aggressive with cuts. Mm-hmm. You know, my problem is I get so wedded to these players in the off season, the draft season, the honeymoon phase, they're going to be great. If they do this, they do this, they do this. And it's tough to let that go. And especially based on where you draft the player, we all know that yeah. emotionally yeah. it's easy to drop around 30, not easy to drop around 18 Sure. Um, but I think, I think everybody really should be a little more bold with the cuts because chances are you're going to be right there. And if you're wrong, you're wrong. You'll have more wins with the additions. Um, so that's a spot I, I try to get a little better. And even coming into this year, I just realized it's going to be chaotic. We have some different circumstances with CBA and how everything was rushed. So, you know, you just got to be bold with your uh, moves, nothing crazy, but I think, you know, my activity and transaction numbers just keep going up and up as this game goes on. Years ago, 10, 15 years ago, people made nowhere near the same amount of moves on teams. Nowhere near the same amount. Might add one guy, might add two, might add zero. 
you know, now it's like a churn factory, some players in terms right. of what they're doing on a weekly basis. Right. So, so even, Jason, yeah. Rob has a good question here that he listed. Uh, what do you prefer your bench to be composed of? Mm-hmm. Do you like to have, yeah. you know, like four pitchers on your bench because you're trying to really have depth in the starting pitching? Or are you trying to have more hitters because you're looking at the, uh, you know, the, the, the Friday, Saturday, Sunday slate and saying, I need these guys to cycle in. Yeah. So my ideal bench, which I would say existed for about one week until injury started, (laughs) (laughs) I spent a lot of time thinking about this and I was all about a very heavy, almost hoarding starting pitching bench. Um, In an ideal world, what I wanted was one of these super utility bats that covers a bunch of positions. Let's call it Josh Harrison. He's been terrible, but a guy like him, and I don't want to start him. I just want him on the bench to have to put in in case. It's not an ideal player to put in weekly, but I figure with the starting pitching inventory, there's going to be none available during the year, hoarded at the draft, and then let go with the losers early on. You know, Carlos Hernandez, I cut him very quick, for example. Um, so that was my goal. Now, as, as you know, a couple of weeks into the season, unfortunately, injuries dictate your bench, unfortunately. I don't have that perfect bench anymore, right? I'm holding right. Will Myers on benches. I have Josh Rojas, who I fabbed. I didn't, you know, pick up on benches. I have D- Danny Jansen on benches. So it doesn't look like that anymore. But my point about the multi-eligibility, and I know we all know why we like them, but they have more value than ever, in my opinion, because a guy like Hai Sung Kim, Rojas, or Harrison, what they allow me to do is have an extra starting pitcher than you. That's it. They let me have an extra starting pitcher. So that is the ideal bench. But as the season goes on, my definition of an ideal bench changes because I'm going to have to cut some of these pitchers that are going to underperform or get hurt. I'm not going to find suitable replacements. So I think it'll be a heavier offense, making sure I got everything covered and then some. And, you know, again, my bench typically has to back up every position but catcher, like a lot of folks. I hate to cheat. What I think you need to have, though, we've all done it, is – you try to get through one week without a bench bat and it always fails on Friday. You always got one or two things <laughs> yeah. to do, right? We, yeah, always right. Try to, we always try to cheat it though. We exactly. all do at one point where you say, you know what? One week I can do it. I don't want to cut, but it's not usually one guy. It's usually you need two new fresh players on Friday, mm-hmm. <laughs> the way the world is. So Definitely. You know, again, but, you know, I, I like to think there, as long as we're all kind of managing the same capacity, you know, we're going to get zeros here and there. It happens. That should not dictate your fortunes in these events. But, you know, in a perfect world, that's how I'd like my bench to look. Okay, that's a good um, answer. That's yeah. a good answer. I tried to do that this year in my main events. I tried to get two bats in five pitchers, and I wanted to stream from my bench. You know, there was a couple – and like you said, quickly make a decision on if, like, a Carlos um, Hernandez just, you know, cut, cut ties. But I wanted to try to, you know, save my last – um, and, 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 and this is something I learned from watching other people do it too. It's like not even rushing to get your, your starting offense, you know, out there, you're taking bench pitching, even maybe before your fifth outfielder, maybe before your middle infielder, you know, um, and having those maybe stronger starters on your team without having to fab them, you know, and, um, you know, obviously picking up some pitches along, uh, the way, you know, that may catch your eye or you want to add, but you don't really feel the urge to try to chase, you know, that rest of season guy that might help you, you know, if you could just get it from inside of the draft. So, um, and 
I wanted to um, comment on the one thing you talk about cutting ties, you know, with players that you wedded to, you know, I feel like that's like with Nikki Pavetta, you know, like there's no way I'm giving up on him. You know, I know people are, are, are past it. They're dumping him and they're like, he's never going to get it back, but I am too attached to that pick. Um, <laughs> you know, even if he, even if he um, was going in a Tommy John, I think it'll still take me a week or two to drop him. <laughs> I love yeah. him. You know, so I just don't hey, want to do that. Look, look at the fab pool again. Would you rather bid on the potential of Nick Pavetta? Maybe you can throw him on your bench for a week. Or do you want Kyle Freeland, Chad Cool, the Baltimore yeah. pitchers, the Arizona pitchers? I mean, it's just guys like that don't show up in the waiver wire, right or wrong. And, uh, yeah, no, I, I like the way you're thinking about it. And I, I hope people dump uh, Pavetta. I saw him dumped in one of my leagues already. Um, and, yeah, hey, I'm not going to lie. It's, it doesn't feel comfortable about putting him in your starting lineup this week. But, you know, uh, you know, again, you're, you did all that homework. you got to trust the process. And, I'm, I, again, I'm sorry, but I'm giving a lot of players mulligans right now that I normally wouldn't because we had the most abnormal rush of the offseason ever. The, the How guys got warmed up. Half these guys were in la-la land spring training for two weeks when the season started. I think we got to look at this time frame a little bit differently than even last year when we at least had a normal preseason and spring training. So uh, I'm, I'm just going to continue to give skilled players like this mulligans. And yeah, I'll stop making excuses in June, but <laughs> yeah, you know, just yeah. like, just like a, a Noah, same thing. Yep. Pavetta. I mean, there's a lot of horrible examples now. Hey, if you know, the players injured, that's a different ball game. Stuff right. changes there. Right. And right. you know, again, you know, the Pavetta, the one spot that's, you know, not the greatest, but a lot of people have issues now is, is Velo. You know, when I see the Velos up at the same levels, I think they're a tweak away with mechanics, but you know, with the, 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 when the velo's down a little bit, you know, but again, that could be warm up. It could be weather. Um, he, he, you know, naked eye, he certainly looks healthy, but, uh, I think, I think you're going to like that pick eventually. I'm not scared of the White Sox offense. I put him in this week on probably about <laughs> seven of my 14 teams that I have him on. They really don't. Yeah. Like, they don't have that luster that they appear yeah. to supposedly have. I don't, you know, it's, I don't know. It just doesn't, it, I'm not scared of, any offenses right now, meaning I will be scared of offenses in the future, but this <laughs> is the, the future, time to right. take, this is the time to take advantage of it with the offense yeah. being down dramatically. This is not the same Toronto team that we'll see in the summer. This is not right. the same. Yeah. Even the Dodgers who are right. awesome are going to be scoring so many more runs. So right. I don't want to be taking these chances two months from now, but if you want to get away with the tough start, I I'm all about doing it right now. And I agree. You know, yeah. Cause how many times, I, I mean, you, you stay away, you're afraid of Toronto, but then Toronto comes up and Teoscar is on the IL and Jansen and another player. And you know, Vladdy doesn't hit three home runs every game. So I'm really not scared of teams yet. I will be in the future. Right. Uh, you know, at Colorado's different, of course, but in general, yeah, and, and the White Sox have so many holes right now. I mean, so yeah. I think that's a good matchup. Yep, absolutely. Um, one more question before we hit the fab of the week. Um, I've heard some people say that they don't look at the standings till June or July and that they just um, kind of know where their teams stand. And I just think that's horseshit. But um, I just want to know if you if it's something that you continuously like look at every night or, you know, it's just happened to be like right there, you know, always easy to just hit the button and and just look at it. But um, I was just wondering, you know, when you, you know, when you look at it, how much you're hyper focused on, you know, maybe when to attack uh, a category that you, you know, might be low in, you know? 
Yeah, so unfortunately, and I wish you could, you can't avoid it, like you said. I mean, I'm setting my lineups up. I'm doing transactions, so I find it funny, and I know who said he doesn't look at it until June, but you know where you are. Now, with that being said, I don't drill into standings. I, I don't. Uh, mm-hmm. Number one, it's probably depressing. I can see where my teams are ranked right now, 14% into the season, but I, I just think you can overreact when you get too emotional. It's too long of a season. Right, so right. I, nice. I am, you know, m- my goal right now is, you know, like everybody, stay healthy, which we can't control, get at bats and get innings and trust the process, AKA my prep work that I work on all off season. Right. Um, I cannot make reactions right now. So when I really deep dive and maybe chart, start chasing categories, is it going to be around the one-third mark? You know, and don't forget, we started the season a little bit later. So May 1st came sooner than in the past yeah. with baseball. Uh, so, yeah, I think June's a great point because people forget how quickly these standings move. Uh, I'll yeah. give a little reminder. I lost the ultimate 2019 auction the final week. Now, I thought I had this wrapped up with a ribbon because the final week I had a 20-point lead. 20-point leads the final week to Matt Modica. And Modica, power to him, he deserved it. He just had everything go his way. Jack Flaherty needed to double start for them to make the playoffs the final day. Everybody else is getting shut down. Garrett Hampson shows up for one month of his life. So I lost (laughs) 20 points in one week. Come on. you think I'm going to overreact now about – this stuff, yeah. So, and uh, and it, I saw it happening. It was like the last day, and thankfully, I I like Matt, so it was I was actually okay with him him taking it from me. And he he knew he actually felt a little bad. I felt in guilt and power to him. He was the champ in that league. But from that experience, like who cares if I have twenty points in a league, 30, 50? Of course, you want to start hot. And don't don't forget, I'm in isolated standalone leagues. Yes, if you're gonna win the main event overall. You could be down near the bottom now and still win it, but it's good to start out hot. I'm not silly. These are stats you're banking. You want your wins. So I'm really not oversweating it, number one. I keep saying 14%. Todd will uh, remind me next week in his article what the percentage (laughs) is. I think it was 13.4 coming into the week. But I'll I'll be not panicked, but interested around 33% of the season and look at it that way. And, you know, I, I think a lot of baseball managers kind of look at it that way too. I've heard that before mm. with the first third, they're trying to figure out their team. You know, you want to be kind of kicked, you know, kicked in that second third and then go all out and make moves for that last yeah, third of the right, season. Right, right. So that's kind of my mentality around it. And, you know, where, where I feel uh, my strength in the game is the in-season management. Now, don't get me wrong. If I didn't draft good teams, I have no chance, but I think I help myself during the season. So, I want more weeks and time and months because I just think I have an edge, not versus everybody, but my in-season management, I feel very comfortable with. Um, so, yeah, I'm not diving in, but it would be crazy to say you don't look at it because you have to see on the My Teams page where you are. And, listen, I, I'm following the players, so I have an idea of my speed guys. Uh, the biggest thing for me truly is two categories that I just get excited about when I see box scores or in person. I want wins from pitches because they're so valuable. They're so precious. So when you steal a win like David Peterson today, I get pumped. And then stolen bases. I get really excited about those early. The other stuff, it's all important, but I just feel like I got to trust the process there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's get a quick score check of our teams right now. The Mets are up 2-0. I'm just looking at this scoreboard right now. 2-0 in the fifth. You know, 2-0 in the fifth. 
one nothing in the fourth, zero zero in the fourth, two zero in the fourth. Oh man, this offense is just crazy. <laughs> but Yankees, Blue Jays are uh, zero zero in the bottom of the fourth. Uh, Red Sox are up two nothing in the bottom of the fourth, and Mister Walker's cruising right now. One hit, two Ks. Who cares what the estimators say? The guy's putting <laughs> up the surface stats, and he's a stud. He's a stud. I remember showing you. Do you remember when you came, you walked into the uh, my main event draft? And uh, I was like, "Come here, come here!" And I'm like, "Look, I have the whole Red Sox staff." You were like, "Good boy, <laughs> good boy." <laughs> yes, approved. Uh, yeah, yeah. I took everybody. I even took. I never mm-hmm. take like players like Chris Sale, like a guy who's hurt, you know. But he was just at a spot where I was like, "You know what? I'll try stashing him and see if it works." And every time I look at my team on Fab, it does kind of hurt me. But then I also look at, <laughs> hey, you know, what if I just get this stud from July on, you know, and if I can make it, you know, if if I have to make a cut, you know, because my team is just just needs something, you know, uh, but right now I'm staying afloat and the pitching is is doing OK. So I don't you know, he's just chilling there and I'm I'm hoping he can come back and be, you know, Chris Sale, you know, yeah. that would be great. Yeah, I, I, I did the same thing. It's funny. I'm very risk adverse. It's totally out of character. Me too. I hate <laughs> stashing prospects and injured guys. But I took one sale in the platinum round 16. And yeah, I'm not going to lie. Like I regretted since then just because the inflexibility it gives you. But as long as I can manage around it, 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 it's not his arm. Uh, Again, it's kind of a weird injury. So, you know, fingers crossed, obviously there's no setbacks. But uh, if it was his elbow or his shoulder, forget it. I would have been totally off. But anything that's not your elbow or shoulder, um, I'll take a chance. So yeah, hopefully, you know, and I know we threw seven pitches as Gecko Industries intern noted in his comment section. <laughs> that was a little sting there. Hey, Gecko gives the brutal truth, whether you like it or you don't. Uh, he's Absolutely. got a lot of uh, reality in those comments, which I, I do appreciate as well. That was one that stung me a little bit as an owner, though. <laughs> but uh, he brings up a good point. Um, but yeah, I got one on, out of five, and I don't really have any other quote unquote stashes, but I think you can take one. The problem is people have overkill and they. They just stash too many people, and it's always the if. If he comes back, if he's healthy, if he comes up, if he does this, and good luck getting one of those ifs to come right. So yeah, I'll stick right with yeah. the one shot we took. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to Todd's article, and um, we'll go through the uh, you know his, his article on spstreamer.com that he does weekly for everyone who wants a nice free read. Check it out on spstreamer.com. It's great. Todd recaps the fab from the main event. In the, um, in the previous week and highlight some awesome stats along with the overall leaders. So Todd, this week you dove into um, a little bit into the pitching side of yes. the uh, MLB environment. So why don't you go over what you found? Okay. And uh, I do provide also the hitting overall hitting and pitching stats for major mm-hmm. league baseball. And one of the things I found Rob was that strikeouts, uh, even though the pitching is really uh, stronger uh, so far this year, strikeouts are down a little bit, which I was surprised to see that I just thought, you know, all pitching stats were improved, but that's not really true. Um, strikeouts are down from 8.68 last year to 849 this year, and walks are very, very slightly up. So the KBB ratio is a little worse um, than it was last year. So anyway, it's just a note that that's um, the situation. And I also uh, listed, I won't go through them all, but I listed the top um, 20 uh, players in the first month in terms of strikeouts. 
And the first two guys were McClanahan and Carlos Rodon, um, who had 42 and 38 strikeouts at that point. Um, and I also show the, the main event ADP of all these guys. And there were a lot of pitchers, Rob, as you saw, that were taken not only after pick 100, but after pick 200 uh, that were in the top, that are in the top 20 of strikeouts uh, this, this season. Guys like uh, Kyle Wright, Eric Lauer. Um, there was also Nestor Cortez, Jesus Lozardo, Josiah Gray, and Tyler McGill. So that's mm. like six guys that were after pick 200 that are in the top 20 of the league. So um, I thought that was interesting. I didn't quite expect that many to be there. It's and, a fascinating uh, little group that you mentioned, past 200. Um, I have some McGill in DCs, but didn't get him in Fab Leagues because everyone just really pumped him up um, to a spot where I thought he was still, you know, very solid, but almost to like a spot where I kind of thought he lost a little bit of his value. But mm -hmm. um, do you guys have any of, of, of those bunch of starters that um, you just mentioned, Lauer, North, uh, Cortez, Lazardo, Gray, and McGill? Um, for me, I can let Jason talk as well. But for me, I've uh, two two times I got Lauer, and about four times I got Cortez, and that's out of wow. ten teams. So wow. I did get those guys, but I I didn't get Luzardo, I didn't get uh, Gray particularly or McGill. So uh, Jason, did you get any of those uh, six guys? Yeah, I got the baby goat. Uh, copyright to Matt Medica on that, <laughs> by the way. I got him twice. Uh, he, he's he's been a big target of mine all offseason i actually loved him you know that's a guy where you take the year before and you stop watching him more as a fantasy player so uh love mcgill got a couple of him i wish i had all of him he looks so good i got right. one josiah gray which I, again it's been great so far i see that as a little up and down i think i'll have some blow-ups there the team context is bad but uh yeah it looks pretty good based on where you took him uh don't have any of the rest but the one that and i know he's had some weak competition but my eyeballs are open for Eric uh, Lauer. I'm, I'm just saying to myself, kind of, how did I miss him? I right. love that division. I'm all about Milwaukee. But, you know, there's so much chatter, rightfully so, about a lot of other pitchers so far, how they're performing. But this Lauer, Eric Lauer love, it only began last couple of days. But, wow, has he been yeah. uh, a, a free ace so far. Yeah, yeah outstanding, definitely. Outstanding. Lazardo, I actually have on one OC, and that was my last one I did, and I that was definitely a FOMO. I I took him earlier than he was going just because I felt like um, staying on that. I wanted to stream on my bench strategy um, in twelve to just wanted to have a bunch of you know stud SP even on the bench, and I just said, you know what, let me go up and get him in there. But yeah. Lauer, yeah, Lauer's an interesting case. You know he. He's just, you know, he's thrown a little harder. His, his pitch shapes look a little different, but, you know, it's just the Milwaukee, you know, style of just really, really improving their starting pitchers. And, you know, hat tip to uh, Toby Batflip Crazy. He's a big Eric Lauer stand. And every time he goes into him on the podcast, I was like, I could still never get on, you know, from that, you know, <laughs> even from his breakdowns of him is just, you know, kind of like look at the guy like, I just don't see it, you know, like I trust, you know, his his analysis, but I just never saw it. But now it's right, just really, right. really, really coming into fruition for sure. Yeah, yeah. You got to make your own decisions even so. Right. Um, and then I went through the uh, the top fab pickups in terms of number of leagues. And I'll just read off the top, let's say five guys, and you guys can maybe react to any or all of them. 
Uh, Travis Demerit was the number one pickup. He's 42 out of 47 main events. Um, Josh Winder, uh, who we don't know is completely in the bullpen for the Twins or in the rotation. Um, Yadiel Hernandez, who I think was, he was really hot, but also he goes to Coors Field. So that was a driving factor there. And then Taylor Walls and Ian Kennedy to, to fill in for Melanson while he's on the shelf. So what do you guys think of those first five, perhaps? Yeah, Jason. Yeah, so I, I thought the best outfielder this week was Demerit, and I know his bids went there. Um, again, I look at him as he might be able to help you for a couple of weeks. He fits in that category of not a one-week help. I think it's going to end at some point. His uh, strikeout rate is very scary at his last level, AAA, like 33%. Mm-hmm. And that's a big metric I look at. If you got a bad strikeout rate in the minors, it usually gets really ugly. But, hey, with that being said, he's got some power. He's got some speed. Braves are going to throw him out there every single day. And, again, he stuck out to me because there's so many platoon bats that are getting bid on. He's not a platoon bat right now. You know, you mentioned Hernandez on Washington – Kind of came out of nowhere last year. Uh, he's, I'm not saying he has to be a platoon bat, but so far Washington has showed us that they platoon him. So again, I look at a guy like him as he's got two starts Monday through Thursday for me. He'll be sitting in the other one. And I think this weekend he might've had two starts. So again, I think these are fine picks for a couple of dollars. Demerit, I would have gone more money on, but I just don't see any of those players you just mentioned as being long-term holdings, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Some weeks there's guys that are out there that, you know, more attractive, have season-long or month-long appeal. This was a week that those guys you just mentioned in particular were just fill-ins, in my opinion. Okay. Right. Demerit, yeah, I got him in one league for 11 bucks. I felt like that's exactly what you said, Jason. Like, for the time being, he's got full time and hoping to ride it for two or three weeks. And if he can, you know, express any of those skills, the power and the speed um, into, the main, into the majors, you know, that would be great. Like you mentioned, the strikeout rate is a little – it was a little worrisome, especially as being 27, you know, in AAA, you know, that's one right. thing. It's not like right. he's a younger guy struggling to find the, uh, the ball, but you know, for the time being, um, it, it looked pretty good. Um, he had three barrels very quickly. Um, and the max EV was pretty solid. So I just thought, you know, try to catch some lightning in a bottle with that. Um, sure. definitely, definitely don't think it's going to be a long, long-term play, but, um, Winder, um, I was interested in, um, I kind of thought Sonny Gray was just going to start this week, you know, so he's not, he's actually making another rehab appearance. So Wendell will probably get another start this week. I'm assuming, um, some people might even prefer him in the, in the piggyback role, right? They might even prefer him coming in after Archer, right. uh, right. Archer puts in four and then Wendell puts in three or four and gets a win, you know, who knows? Um, he does look like he's got the skills, though, like the swinging strike. Um, the stuff is there, and um, he's he definitely looks pretty good. Um, I wouldn't yep. have put a huge bit on him. Um, and like I said, I, I thought I was going to definitely be able to use him this week. Uh, maybe I would have put a couple bucks on him, but I thought Gray was coming back for sure. Um, Taylor Walls, I think, is the guy. He's, like, sexy because he's he's stealing. Um, I think he's a little overperforming right now through BABIP, um, but – you know, he just gained third base. Um, seems like right. I think Choi might be out through the week. So, you know, might be getting some full-time at-bats there because um, him and Yandi look pretty pretty stuck at first and third when Choi's not there. So um, that, you know, if you need some speed, it's for 
the right price, it might be a good pickup. And I don't know, he he might be a guy that picks up more, you know, if he could pick up the amount of time Joey Wendell picked up last year, I'm not saying he's going to have Joey Wendell skills, but, um, you know, it, it could be valuable on your team. Like you said, Jason, with having a guy on the bench who can fill out two spots, you know, he grab you some speed. Um, might that not by the, you know what I was thinking too? Um, you, you keep mentioning the, the platoon bats and, um, you know, the, the wealth of them being available. Um, and there's just, some of them are just blocked because of the PT available. Do you think when the roster shrink and maybe the playing time firms up and like you said, maybe the offense starts kicking up, these guys will be a little more, um, of value, you know, and maybe we should be on the boat of picking them up before that happens, you know? Yeah. I mean, again, I, I think they have value. I have lots of like Rowdy Telez. It frustrates me. He hits lefties, but they yes. seem to platoon him a lot. That one annoys me. You know, I got the Seth Browns of the world. I think of like the Lamont Wades and they do have value. I mean, you know, it's when you, the good part about them is, you know, when they're going to play and when they're not, this isn't like a Manny Margot where you never know when Tampa is going to sit him one out of three games. Like, you right. know, with how often they're playing. So on one hand, that is refreshing, but I, I just don't have faith that managers are going to give these kids or guys a chance to, to hit lefty. That's right. the frustrating part is, you know, there's players who just can't hit lefties. They're awful. They've experienced it. They've tried. They have multiple years, but there's so many of these players just because they bat lefty, they get no chance. So I think this is the world we're living in. We can blame Tampa from a hundred years ago. We can blame the giants, <laughs> but it's a Swiss army knife maximize each side type of platoon, but my, my, and again, I see value in these players. I just can't have too many of them. Like I said, you know, we're already running into roster crunches, you know, week one, it looks, everything's healthy. You have multiple options, but now when you have one or two bench bats maximum, sometimes that are healthy on your bench, I want to be able to play them. So mm-hmm. as I said, I'm starting to focus more and prioritize everyday players, which I know most people do. That sounds quite obvious, but right. I just see the fab bidding. And I'm not saying these are outrageous bids, but I see lots of platoon bats going for $20, $30. I'll give you an example. I paid a dollar for him and I'm going to cut him this week. Kyle Isbell. I paid a dollar. Yes. We all like his skill set. Right. People paying 20, 30 bucks. Well, we just learned today. I don't know. Oliveras is playing, right? Started versus a righty. Isbell didn't play. So I paid a dollar. I'll cut him. But that was a known risk on Sunday. It looked like, although we didn't have manager quotes, that it potentially was a platoon, although we thought he'd be on the strong side of it. So just trying to be careful on those platoons and then pounce when you get an everyday at bat, uh, yeah. batter. Um, and again, easier said than done, of course. Sometimes you got to make the move. And again, that player pool is so thin right now in free agency. I mean, there's certain weeks, you know, it's more plentiful, but I thought this week, unless you had a couple outlier drops that shouldn't have been there, it was very, very weak. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. Such a, such a good point with Isbell because he went for as high as 125 in the main event. His median winning bid was 23 bucks. He's played three. He started three out of six games. You know, like you mentioned, Oliveira is leading off now back to back games, but it's just, you know, you got to be able to read, uh the 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 playing time and the royals are just so so solid with you know how they're you know giving it out lately you know like they 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 don't have many platoons you know it's pretty straightforward yep. there you know and you mentioned the guy you know that that stings my heart but margot is you know he uh, it, it's good to see like he he started again um now it's like nine out of ten games where he started and i think the 
you know, well, thank Josh Lowe for going down into the minors. I think that firmed up his playing time a little more, but you know, he's a guy like every week. I'm just like, and in, in 12 teams, even though I had him ranked at a decent clip, I, I had to drop him because I just didn't, I don't carry many, you know, like uh, bats on my bench in, in general in OCs. And I, I just like, I can't have a platoon guy, you know, be, be my bench yeah. guy, you know, like it yeah. just, 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 just wasn't working out. But um, what about Ian Kennedy? What do you guys feel like the Mark, Mark Melanson thing is uh, an undisclosed injury. I don't know people were saying it was COVID. Um, like, how do you reading? Like, I don't know. A lot of people feel that Kennedy can just keep the role. Um, even when Melanson comes back, you guys feel about that? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think, I don't think either of them is, is very good uh, in terms of pitcher, <laughs> but in, in ter- terms of, uh, you know, what's ailing Melanson, I, I just figure it's got to be COVID related. It might be actual direct exposure and that he's actually sick, right. but they, cause the teams can't say anything about that. Right. But I, 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 that's just a guess. It's not, there's nothing hard and fast about it. Uh, Jason, what, what do you think? But yeah, you- I, I, yeah, I yeah. couldn't believe I, I was shocked with the bids. Uh, right. I, I, unless unless we don't know and there's a real injury, I could be wrong. I don't see why Melanson doesn't go right back to closing. You know, we all know it's smoke and mirrors with Melanson, but there's a reason they signed him. They moved him back there. They started giving him the ball. So I was somewhat shocked because I looked at it as, hey, you want to snag one save this week? He loses the job. You pay a couple dollars, but. You know, people kind of treated him like he's the rest of the year guy. And as I said, unless it's a true injury, uh, I think Melanson's getting that job back. Yeah, 100%. There's two bids that were over 100, 163, 128. um, Just, you know, six bids, seven bids over 50 bucks. Um, eh, I don't know. I just looked down the bid list and it just seemed like everyone overpaid except the guy in last here, uh, Juke the Stats, Mr. Steve Weimer, got him for two bucks. That's a kind of like, that's a perfect <laughs> bid, I think, because exactly. like, even if you get him for a week or two, you know, two max, you know, you, yeah, that's, sure. that's great. You get maybe two or three saves for two bucks, dynamite, because I think you're right. I don't think, uh, you know, I don't think he, he's going to keep the role in Kennedy. He had the chance to, but I just think it's a lot. And I, I just feel like that's, you know, when you're, um, either like halfway in on on not punting, but like trying to trying to chase all these saves during in season. I just I sent out a tweet right before we started. You know, um, the top eleven closers drafted in the main event. You know, have thir- almost thirty eight percent of the saves in baseball this year. Seventy one out of one eighty nine, and that's not including all the guys that weren't rosterable, all the guys we have on our bench, you know, that percentage probably goes, you know, shooting through 60%, 50, 60%. And just goes to show you that if you were going to try to get saves, you know, getting them in the top half, which a lot of people debated about being a silly approach, you know, may be worth it, you know, because you see a lot of this, a lot of the bidding, um, you know, just, just go crazy. Jason, I, I was wondering in the high stakes league, is it a little different because there's not like many people chasing it, like you mentioned during the draft and, you know, like not really trying to pound saves. So have you noticed that, is there a difference in like not having a lot of the Merriweather types or is it kind of the same? It's a little bit different, unfortunately, from my perspective, where right. people tone it down a little bit. Right. They know what people are doing in the room. Now, the top shelf guys are going to go with Hayter, Hendricks. They go where they go, but they, closers go much later in general. 
And the prices in FAB are much, much, much lower in my leagues than the main event, which is understandable because you don't have the overall component. So this is where I said earlier, and I keep harping back to, um, we're going to screw up a lot and be wrong on saves, but the overall NFBC player is light years smarter on them now and how they manage them. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, years ago, everybody got their second closer by the 10th round. They just all went. And now you see people waiting, grabbing one early, grabbing one late. And, you know, I also think on the roster construction spot, you know, when you asked about the ideal bench, I think a lot of people would kind of say a spec closer, but I also think, you know, and I'm not the expert on saves clearly, but I don't think that's necessarily the best plan anymore because there's so many specs every week. Why bog down a roster spot? Like, I feel like every week there's going to be like three guys out there that are yeah, good specs right. that you can get. Yeah, sure. So back, back in the day, you know, even when I went for saves, you would always, I would stash a guy like six weeks before the trade deadline because the lead guy is going to get traded. And it's like, you're wasting that capital. So I think, you know, you have closers in your lineup and, or you just pick them up. I don't see the reason to stash multiple guys no, unless it's a right. guy injured or, you know, some special circumstance. So I, again, all the more reason where I like how saves were treated years ago more than they are today. People are smarter. <laughs> yeah. Cause that's when you probably had though, 15 guys getting 30, right? So you knew that stashing a guy who's, you know, the tendency to not, you know, just play the matchups or like, you know, or, or playing, playing the hitting zones, you know, it's not even about even lefty, lefty, righty, righty, even more. These teams are just going, you know, they're looking at a hitter's, you know, swing plane and saying, which pitcher can, can get through his swing the best. It has nothing. It's, it's so far past than, than anything we've used to. It's like, it's, it, you know, I remember like one of the first years I ever played um, um, Roto. And I just remember I was helping my brother play team and for some reason it stands out, but like we had like Joe Nathan and he, you know, I think he was like 15th in the league in saves, but he was still at 30, you know, it was just so, you know, it was so, it was just so, it was so different. It was really different. So yeah, what, I'm not, I'm done, you know, chasing early, like all these little, uh, um, the Rands and, um, Duffy's like early on. I just like, I'm not, you know, uh, I, I threw a bit on Helsley this week and it was 60 bucks, but it was just because I think that he's going to have 50% of it. I don't even think he's going to be the closer, but, um, I yeah. just want to take a, a shot at a guy with great ratios too, who, who looks dynamite, you know, he's, uh, but, but all the little, tr- like last year was just like constantly picking up a guy for seven bucks and speculating with three bucks. And then he was gone the next week or two weeks later. And it was just no more of that. I'll just wait for the um, later on in the year when hopefully, you know, the rest of the league mates just start to like look elsewhere and not at saves, or maybe they have too many saves and not even bothering you know, bidding on it and it just becomes a little easier to get, you know, for sure. Um, what about the uh, Chad Cool, Ross Stripling type? Did you guys um, have any bids in on them this week? Not for me. Uh, I'm just too scared of a Rockies pitcher for one. And right. uh, he's been great, but, you know, it's only three or four starts. So I'm not – and then Stripling, I always liked the guy. I always thought he was good, but – he seems to always disappoint uh, a little bit. He's only been going four innings at a clip, basically. So I was I was kind of out on those two guys. I don't know about Jason. Yeah, so I had them on threads. I mean, we're talking a couple bucks. It was the soup du jour, what you had to bid on this week. 
Uh, I thought Stripling eyeball test against the Red Sox was actually quite impressive, but I worry so much about the innings back to your point. And that's kind of a criteria. There's a lot of skilled pitchers, but I, I look back at, you know, recent times, how many innings you're going and some guys just aren't going to get five innings and you're not on my radar. If, if that's yeah. the case. Yeah. Uh, cool. I would have, it would have felt very dirty and it probably would have blown up, but I would have <laughs> taken like a two, $3 shot on him. Same as like Freeland and Brew Baker. I had them all because they were facing, you know, the Reds and um, Zona. But again, you're playing with fire when you do that. I've been burned more than I've won. But if I'm taking a chance, it's early on when stuff is weird. But I didn't win those uh, folks, thankfully. Long term, absolutely not. But hey, look at what we're bidding on every week. Uh, All the more Mm -hmm. reason why, you know, I told you my strategies to build up depth with pitching on draft day. Yeah. Um, you know, we're playing with fire every week with these starting pitchers. And I heard Matt Modica recently on a podcast and he was saying, I've been most successful when I don't stream starting pitchers. And yeah. boy, did that ring a bell with my head. It gets very ugly when I need a pitcher every yeah. week, starting pitcher. Tough. Very it's tough. So, yeah. so tough. I mean, everybody's looking at the same info. We're doing the same sorts who started yeah. a game in the last seven. We're looking at the same fab articles. So Good, good luck. I mean, again, there's always heroes who come out of nowhere. I didn't get them last year. Well, maybe I had one of them, but I bring up like a Luis Garcia and Shane McClanahan, league winners. But are you going to nail those two or are you going to pick up the other 150 pitchers who yeah. stunk? And I'm sorry, I just don't think I'm that good where I'm going to win those players and be right all the time. So it's very challenging. It makes the game a lot of fun. And also how they use pitchers. You know, it's a different ball game for everybody. Right. Oh, absolutely. How you look at it. So um, but again, that's what makes this game uh, riveting. The changes you have to make year over year with your strategy and the tweaks. Right. Absolutely. But before we get to Todd's wow bit of the week, I wanted to ask you about two of the kind of um, um, guys who added in, in, in 11 leagues. Um, but MJ Melendez was scooped up um, for as high as 149 and his median winning bid was 60 bucks and the backup to his median 35. So um, what's your outlook on, on what you can expect from a rookie catcher who hasn't really been doing that well this year? Um, he popped off last year in the minors, but does he get enough time to even, you know, be a catcher too? Um, Sal P plays every day pretty much. What are your thoughts on, on something like this, Jason? Uh, well, I'm a big believer in there is no such thing as a catching prospect. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the, how often they take years or they never come to fruition, the offensive game, it's just staggering. So, again, it's very intriguing. I mean, I had no problem if he was available taking the stash. If your second catcher is a Jacob Stallings or, you know, an easy upgrade, then take a chance. But Kansas City is one of the teams I do not trust with these types of players. And I'm not saying they're not smart and they're not doing it the right way, but you know, last year they faked everyone out. Dayton Moore talking about how Bobby Witt could start the year in the majors and he didn't even get a cup of tea. Uh, I know they called this kid up, but I don't love that his primary position is their captain, one of their best players already. So yeah, yeah. I think he'll, I think he's either going to get sent down in like a week or two or cause he's got to play all the time or hopefully you get DH at bats, but it's not a guy I would have gone a hundred dollars or more, but Hey, if you, had a weak second catcher. I, I don't see a problem with paying 20, 30 bucks. I'm usually not the guy spending two, 300 on big prospects, but uh, if it was a team, not Kansas city Royals, I'd be more excited. Interesting. And what about Hassan Kim? He was scooped up in 11 leagues as well. Um, pretty much 
Uh, same deal as Melendez. His median winning bid was 64, as high as 117. Now, this is a guy, you know, plays three spots, you know, kind of like firming up his skills as he's getting more looks at major league pitching. Um, you know, can be solid speed, power type guy, three spots in the uh, of eligibility. This was one that I was kind of more in on as, as, as maybe, you know, being willing to throw down some money on um, if he was available in my league, which he wasn't. Um, but this is where I could see, you know, if you want to pony up a little more. Yeah, this is an exciting name to me, actually. And he was uh, available in one of my leagues. Thank you, Jody Ryan, for dropping him. Um, I'm just going to oh, give him a hard time. Jody, uh, yeah, and, how are you doing? Yeah, Jody. So, uh, thankfully, he still has two. But uh, we had a nice conversation last night where I thanked him for Haisan Kim. So, why I like <laughs> him. And I, he's a guy that fits in that category where I might get multi-month uh, usage out of him. And I, I got him for 45 by the way. Would you pay Rob to get him? I He, he wasn't available in my league, but okay. I would have – I would have been in that region for sure. Maybe even a little yeah. more. Yep. I, I went, I went higher on someone else. So that's the only reason, but I agreed. So his, again, there's changes in his profile so far, his walk rates up, his K rates down. He's got six barrels so far. He had nine all of last year in five times the at bats. And let's not look past uh, what it takes to come over from overseas your first year during a pandemic. So again, I, I see some tangible changes. Never mind. He has, uh, you know, a, a lovely uh, eligibility, second, short, third. I mean, he is so ideal with my strategy to hoard more starting pitchers. So right. yeah, again, I know Tatis mm. comes back one day, but things happen to players and we still probably have, you know, a good month of run. But uh, I thought, you know, if, if he was available, you know, a massive amount of leagues, he would have been the number one target, but I was happy to get one out of five on him. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm fond of him. Right. Absolutely. Nine barrels last year, six this year so far. So, and like you said, um, K, K rate dropping, walk rate going up, um, hitting, doing more damage with pitches in the zone. He just looks like he's a lot more comfortable. And I think he's, he's forcing his way into them, you know, making sure he gets into the team lineup a little more, even when Tatis comes back. So, yeah, this is one of those rare pickups where I would go, you know, pretty heavy on being confident that it can be even more than a month, you know, can maybe be just a solid rest of season guy, you know? Um, so, yeah, he was one of the more ones I would agree with, you know, ponying up for, not like the guys that um, Todd's about to mention who were the century um, the Century Club winners this week. Todd, who are they? <laughs> so um, the wow bit of the week, uh, is that what you want, you want me to go to next? Give me the wow. The wow was Eloy Jimenez, uh, one of Rob's favorite players, actually. Um, <laughs> he was one for uh, $452, even though he's going to be out for a couple of months. And I certainly grant that um, he's, a, he's a fine hitter. I drafted him in a couple leagues unfortunately. Um, but I, I don't know, 452 for, you know, maybe a couple of months is, is a steep price. Um, and then uh, he was only available in two main event, event leagues and he was one for 245 in the other league. Um, then uh, I also did want to mention because Phil Dassault, he, he messaged me, he wanted me to put in that he got Drew Rasmussen for 340 because <laughs> he always he always bids low and this was a guy that he thought was really a good pitcher and uh, he was willing to go 
big for him. He won him 340 to 142. So he didn't want me to uh, skate over him just because uh, Eloy had a higher bid. So I put them both in my paragraph here. And uh, I guess you guys can react to either one. Um, but I thought it, it's tough to bid 452 for Eloy when he's going to be out for quite some time. Yeah, Eloy, I, I don't know. He's just one of those guys. I just think he's, I bid on him last year for 200 when he came back on my main team that was starving for power. So much starving was the guy that I never even looked at a draft ever in his <laughs> history that I, you know, was like, all right, well, this could be something I need. And it wasn't he. And I just, I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever see what we think he will be. Um, but R Rasmussen, yeah, I have him on four of my six fab leagues. Um, I probably would have went in that same region, 300 plus. I think he's a stud. I love watching him pitch. Um, the way he's, he split up his, his slider and the cutter into like almost the same pitch, but it's different in a way. It, and it, each game, it seems like he's learning to make more use of it. And um, I like how he got to almost 90 pitches. Um, helped that he was really high in Eno's stuff model too. So just like a little confirmation there that what I see from him is, you know, you know, maybe legit going forward. So the, the whole thing with, him is just length, you know, he's got to get to that fifth inning. And I think he's getting more accustomed to getting there. Um, I think we, we saw it in the relief portion of him when he started to start last year, we didn't see like a lot of the, um, the K numbers transfer over, but um, I think the skills are there. And, uh, you know, I think that's going to be a solid bid. I even talked to Ryan Bloomfield too, who lost, him in the other league 234 to 232 that's one of the ones that's gotta hurt you know right, when you're like right. ready to go so high on a player and only to lose him by that that two bucks you know and you're like oh my god you know so um definitely interesting to see those happen for sure yeah yeah um but the so guy who i'm really scratching my head out getting that that much money is anthony bender i mean you, you're not going to get you know, the four saves he just had last week. Um, I don't know. There's just a lot happening. You know, Scott had gotten a shot. Salsa's gotten a shot. You got Floro coming back. Like, right. I don't know. Do you really? And it's not like Bender been having flawless innings. Um, I don't know. It's just when I see the yeah. 322 bucks on him or, you know, the median bid, winning bid was 256. You know, it's just a lot, I think, for a guy yeah. who may not have the role going forward, you know? There were nine over 100 for Bender. So it wasn't just one or two bids. It was uh, quite a few. So, um, yeah, I like to track the, the winning bids over 100 and 200. And uh, you guys see the chart maybe. And it is dropping, you know, as we get further into the season because people are being a little more prudent. So even though the average winning uh, bid or the average amount spent per team, excuse me, was still up in the 50s, it's starting to be a little less in terms of the high-end players. So you can already see it turning a bit, and it will continue because the math just forces people to be more economical as they've if they've spent a hundred bucks on two or three players already. Um, but anyway, the 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 there were 49 players, uh, 49 winning bids, excuse me, over 100 and 12 over 200. Uh, so it's still a pretty healthy number. 
Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, uh, where do you guys stand right now with Fab in your um, leagues? Are you are you somewhere in the eight hundred? Uh, I got both of my teams right now in my fifteen team leagues. Uh, three of my fifteen team leagues are both over uh, eight hundred and forty bucks left. So I'm being a little stingy. Um, <laughs> like I don't know. There's just uh, <laughs> I just feel like at some point I'm gonna have to start using it, you know. But I just haven't really found. Well, the the yeah. levels that I wanted to. I've sure. been probably overspending on, you know, uh guys like Spencer Howard, uh, who's just <laughs> he he was a guy who was really hoping we'd get you know stretched out a little more. But um yeah. Yeah. where do you guys stand with your with your fab money? Still got a big pocket? So I um in four of my fa- similar to you, I mean I felt like unless there was an odd drop, um very tough, difficult to spend a hundred plus dollars on anyone so far. So four out of my five leagues, I have around 800 plus one league took a little bit out of character with me, but I went nuts because I had a, a player that shouldn't have been in the fab pool. So I have 413 in my ultimate auction, but that's because uh, I added again, strange drop, great player dropped him, but I added Steven Matz after week one, who I really like anyway, I have. So wow. I, I, I bid 458 and I, one by over 200 and I don't care. I actually was going to go 650 that day. <laughs> so that was one of them on Sunday where you keep raising the bar. Cause right. I love Steven Matz. Anyway, I had two of them. He was a draft day target. So 458 bucks, I was willing to do it. And sure. I respect and agree with Phil's bid right there. I mean, again, what do you never see in the fab pool? Good starting pitching or, right. you know, so it's like, and that's the guy I'll go nuts on. What I don't want to go nuts on is, a prospect who just got called up or a skill set that is similar. I mean, you got to look at what these players can do. Uh, I'll pick on Alec Bohm. I know there's a big Twitter war on him. And hey, <laughs> I'd love, I'd love to have him on my fantasy team. He looks like a fine bat, but at the end of the day, your most optimistic expectations, like what do his numbers look like? And is that a replaceable stat line? Is that guy worth $200? I don't think so. A hundred dollars. Right. Like I think yeah, he's right. good. I'd like to have him. He plays every day, but I look at Steven Matz, Rasmussen, uh, you know, those are guys that will never show up on the waiver wire and you're never going to find players with those characteristics that can do what they're going to do. So um, that's when I'm ready to go in. But otherwise, I, I'm pretty cheap and stringent with the uh, the money. I know opportunities will come up, but I don't think they are there yet unless there's a, uh, you know, a different type of drop that we don't expect. Yeah, I, I in the three mains, I have one team with uh, – 839, one with 925, one with 775. So basically around 800 is the average. So yeah, but I fully support what Jason is saying. If if there's a guy that's unusual, that really is, is a, a guy that can help your team significantly, you got to go. You can't say, well, my budget is this and I'm just not going to do it. Um, you know, I went heavy after Alec Manoa last year and that was great. I've done it other times when it's been a bad idea, but you have to try to take your shots when you think it's worth it. And if it is a a player that can make a significant difference. Right. And and good call on Matt. I would have, I would have dropped a good amount on Matt too, because like you said, just those type of pitches just won't be available. And he just, he looks great. I know maybe, you know, John didn't see this after week one, but you know, K percentage is up four, four points. You know, K per nine is up one and a half. Um, just, you know, I don't know. He's just really 
performing really well so far. Um, I know the surface ERA just doesn't look great at 4.5, but you know, the, the XFIP is at 2.49. The Sierra is 2.89. Um, just really solid from Steven Matz and a good pitching call up. on a good team. Yeah. Good bid. Yeah. Good bid for sure. All right, Todd, take us home here. What do you got left? Uh, so I just the wanted Coliseum. to mention the Coliseum, uh, one of my favorite sections, yes. but um, uh, Jason, I think, has read the article. And, you know, I look at the last the four players from three weeks ago and how they did um, and whether it was a good or bad ad uh, in retrospect, because, my, again, my theory is three weeks. Yeah, you could say, well, eight weeks later, this guy really turned up and started to do well. But if he didn't help you in the first three weeks, a lot of times he gets dropped or, you know, he really uh, isn't worth it. So uh, right this week, we had two really good ads from uh, that second Fabron, Daniel Bard and Kyle Wright. Daniel Bard has been great so far. I mean, he's exceeded what I thought he was going to do. Uh, five saves in the three weeks since he was picked up. Um, so he's been fantastic. He's got a, a great ERA and whip. And uh, I'm not sure I expect it to continue at this rate, but you certainly can't argue with the results. Um, and then Kyle Wright, my God, I, I think he could be a top 20 pitcher if he keeps this up. He's got a 150 ERA. I think he was pitching tonight, wasn't he, Rob? Um, he is. The Mets are beating him 3-0 about on the way to sweep the Braves on this doubleheader. Okay, I know you're upset about that, but anyway. Um so, uh, yeah, he's been fantastic. Uh, even still, um, he has a 28 to 5 K to BB ratio over those three weeks. So anyway, those were two victories as far as the mm -hmm. additions were concerned. And then we had two that I felt were on the losing side. Josh Lowe, who sadly was sent down after batting 182. Um, and uh, I still think he's the kid's got a future, but I'm not sure it'll be for a little bit more into the season. And then Tyler Duffy, who never really got into the save mix, even though I thought he might he might do it, but um, he had a mediocre ERA and WHIP uh, and no save, so I gave him a loss as well. So that leaves us at uh, three positive, four negative picks so far this year, which is a little ahead of the the pace we've seen. And uh, I'm just going to follow this all season to see if maybe this year the pickups are have a better rating than they did in years past. Yeah. Very interesting. I like, I mean, right now, right has to be in the lead for, you know, best ad and yeah. in the wire. Cause he's just he's, been really, really lights out. And um, you know, even Bard, Bard has been phenomenal himself. Um, but I think, you know, uh, it, it's, it's interesting because I think every time we highlight the four top guys, you know, it's always been driven by like other factors of, of them just maybe, you know, being the best player available. Right. You know, so, right. so they, these results, they just get thrown all over the place, but it's good to see that, you know, maybe we're, uh, you know, turning up the volume here and being on better <laughs> hits than last year, you know? So yeah. uh, I know in the last couple of episodes, I brought up some guys um, from last year at this time, you know, that yeah. were bid on the most. So I just want to throw out some names um, of the guys who added the most um, was Alex Wood, Nico Horner, Josh Stamont, Jonathan Daza, um, Paven Smith, Williams, Astadio. Um, but again, like we're talking about guys who are not picked up in the most leagues, but kind of scattered about and for cheaper prices um, in week four, um, week five last year, uh, we had 
Um, Garrett Whitlock get picked up in 16 leagues for as much as 93 bucks. But a lot of his ads were just in that nice, you know, 15, 20 buck range. I think if you picked him up, he just gave you a solid season out of the pen. And Luis Garcia also uh, was picked up 16 leagues for as a top 78 bucks. And um, I think guys got, you know, great, great uh, return on investment from plays like that. So, Again, not only, you know, it's these uh, is the guys getting ed the most, but sometimes it's those middle guys that are for cheaper that are just really giving you the most value going forward. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, there's winning pickups all across the board. The question is, can you pick them out of the, uh, the pile? That's all. Right. Um, I wanted to just pop up some of the interesting drops I saw this week that uh, sure. Nick Pavetta dropped in 11 leagues. Uh, you know, that's just uh, like... It didn't happen in my leagues because I have him, but he was available <laughs> in my league. It'd be a different story. Um, uh, let's see. Um, Abraham Toro and Brian Anderson, two guys who's shocked to see drop because, you know, Toro just got back the everyday PT he lost with Hanager going back on the IL and he got that versatility. And Brian Anderson um, is getting platoons less as the season goes along. And now he's really hitting strong. He's got a full week which was kind of interesting to see um, that kind of drop. Um, Yuan Duran dropped in three leagues. Manny Margot, which I think is a mistake drop, um, dropped in three leagues. Michael Conforto dropped in three leagues. I want to know what, you know, fucking took people so long to do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, uh, that was uh, really, really interesting to see. Um, and then two pitchers that I kind of thought, well, Bailey Ober, that's another mistake drop. I don't, I wish I was in that league because that's, that's, that's a $300 bid to me. You know, that's a Rasmussen, Matt's, you know, type of guy, six innings, going to eat up innings all year. Not going to kill your ratios on a pretty decent team. Uh, but, you know, even Dane Dunning and Mitch Keller, they would drop again, only in single league. So, you know, obviously the needs of these teams, we don't know, but just looking at them from, um, a different lens like these guys just came off probably their better games of their career especially Dunning um, just pitched the most uh, the longest the most pitches um, just interesting to see those uh, you know kind of drops um, now but and um, so anyway there was just a couple of the drops that I've uh, that I noticed I kind of just like to take my time and go through them to see sure. you know because I think it's just uh, not as important, but it's just cool because we don't know the, the you know, the whole context of everyone dropping these guys. But um, even Christian Pache, like said, he, he was dropping 17 leagues, but I don't know if a lot of people know, but the A's have nine games next week, you know, nine games. So uh, it's interesting to see a guy, you know, who, who being dropped for a team that, you know, might get the most at bat out of anyone next week. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so all right, Todd, you want to hit us off with a little bit of the main uh, yeah, overall Yeah, I just recap? mentioned I don't want to go through the uh, yeah. standings too much, but Chris Reed is still the leader of the uh, overall main event. Um, he's He's got quite a substantial lead, too. He's at 6,300 points in the second place. Uh, wow. Player Abdul Madani, who is a former main event champ, is at 5,700, so that's almost 600 points. Um, then we got Douglas Gruber, who's got third and 12th. So that's pretty impressive. And then uh, Phil Dussault down at 10th place. I mean, you know, he was buried a few weeks ago, but he's back. And uh, what a fraud. Think, yeah. Well, <laughs> only 10th, only 10th. You know, the guy is, uh, is, is got problems as far as I can tell. Anyway, <laughs> and then I also um, 
I also put the uh, the league, uh, I won't go through these at all, but the league leaders, second place and third place, just because I think it's uh, worthwhile to say, you know, if you're in the top three of a main event league, I think it's uh, an accomplishment even at this early stage. So uh, they're all listed there. There's a lot of great players among the group. And, I always uh, like to look at the average score. That is one of my favorite parts of the article, especially as we get further along into the season, you know, yeah. the average first place, second place, and third place, because I think it's obviously there's a lot to sway right now and things are changing, you know, by the hour, but you know, it, it's just, it's just cool to see, you know, what, what you can look at to, you know, feel comfortable about being in the top three. Yeah. Um, and I also was interested to see that, um, in one league only that there's one first place team that doesn't have a hundred points. That was yeah. really, that was really wild to see. It's actually a lead that Casey Charles in first in, but 98 points, 96 and a half for second and 95.5 for third, all three are well below the average for those places. Right. So that's, that's interesting because, yeah. you know, I wonder what the rest, you know, like four through 10 must be really packed too. Yeah, you know, I, think, with, I think that's a very close lead for the top yeah. eight places. So I gotta look uh, at that. that's what usually causes that. But yeah, I mean, most leagues you need over 110 points to be in first uh, at least, and then right. over a hundred to be in second. Um, and so that's, you know, that's out of 10 categories, you got to be getting, 10 points a piece just to be in second. Um, yep. And so that gets to Jason's point about, you know, you can't really have a zero in saves or any, any other category in order to do that. Yep. Absolutely. Fantastic. All righty guys, anything else you want to cover before we end this beautiful marathon podcast? <laughs> Sorry, I kept you guys so long, but once we start going, it's so hard to stop, you know? So <laughs> I appreciate you, Jason, for joining us. Yeah, you know, thank you, Jason. Let me awesome. let me just check up. Let me just check on the Red Sox score. Oh, they're what up do we got? Zip. Okay, what? they're up two zip. Again, our oh, beautiful baby. I feel great that the Mets are about to sweep the Braves today, and uh, hopefully we take one more and kick them kick them out the Queens. But uh, it, it's it's exciting. It's exciting when your team do good. You know, like a a lot of team. You know. Everyone, of course, likes to give the Met fans problems, but it's exciting. I mean, what are we not? What are we supposed to do? Not feel optimistic, you know? Not feel good <laughs> about the fact that they went out and got Scherzer, even though Grom is out, you know, and we don't know what's going to play out. But you know, we have we have an owner who's willing to go out and get good players, you know, and we also have a front office that's not afraid to cut ties with a guy who's owed a lot of money. You know, it, it's just a just. A different thing you know it's uh it's it's not a move i felt like uh, it would have been made a long time ago you know so um but they were easy to do it and it's cool it's exciting and and the yankees are hot too todd so yep can't can't complain about uh, how they're playing I mean, that's for sure if it's any chances that the subway series will do some type of podcast live from okay from okay. city field not yankee stadium but city field Oh, from City Field. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yankee I'll, Stadium. Just the the old Yankee Stadium was way better. This one's a dud. I'll, I'll be I'll be in Yankee Stadium and you'll be in City Field and we'll do a podcast. You sure? I'll pay for your ticket if you come to City Field. <laughs> and and Jason will join us from Fenway. There we go. Jason, before we leave though, you're gonna take Todd's honor this week and you're gonna answer my pod decks. What do you think? Okay. All right. Let's do it. Okay. I'll, I'll hit you off with two pod decks and we'll let you run. Because this has been the highlight of the show so far <laughs> for a lot of the fans. All right. Would you rather be able to record your thoughts or your dreams while you sleep? 
I would say record my thoughts. I think yeah. that would be nice to be able to have something tracking that because uh, with dreams, I just rarely remember them. So I think that's a waste. Interesting. Gotcha. Yeah. I think it'd be great. Right? That's actually a great idea. Record your thoughts. There's something probably in the works by Google that is already happening that they're <laughs> going to be able to do that. Right. Yeah. So and I, I, my brain's crazy the way I think I want that for fantasy baseball. Cause there's a lot of weird stuff <laughs> that goes through this head 24 hours a day thinking about baseball. So maybe if we put a recorder like airplanes have up in my brain, <laughs> we can get some nice info out. I'll subscribe to that. I'll subscribe. <laughs> absolutely absolutely all right would you rather eat for the rest of your life for every day peanut butter jellies sandwiches or grilled cheese oh i think that's easy um i'll go grilled cheese um nothing against peanut butter and jelly but i think that consistency and feel would get very very old the peanut butter stickiness <laughs> uh for the next for the next uh, 40 years of life so Hey, who doesn't like grilled cheese? It'll get old. I was hoping you said pizza. That would be easy. But, yeah, uh, be I, I'll go grilled cheese. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Awesome. But you, for peanut butter and jelly, you have to have a lot of water. Yeah. That's the <laughs> issue there. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, um, there's, um, I, I went to this place one time. It was, uh, on like, uh, one of these food shows. It was a foodie thing, but it's all they did was grilled cheese, right? And you walked in and you picked your bread, you picked your cheese, and you picked your jelly. Right. Oh. And they had this, ink, you know, and it, that that was the thing that was the combo that was, you know, that you had to go for. And it has so many different things. Try. You could try like this, you know, the sandwich thing. Like you can get like a like like uh, breweries have like you could sample the beers, you know, they would like make you like <laughs> a, a square of, of, of four different, you know, combinations. It was fascinating. It was really good. Uh, but anyway, but uh, grilled cheese. Yeah. Interesting. I would. um it's hard not to go peanut butter and jelly. Dog. I mean, but like you said, the texture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you got to, I'm sure you have to, I hope you'll be able to choose if you keep using different cheeses or not the same cheese, right? I mean, uh, or is it the yeah. same cheese? Or is it or is it also, you know, chunky or 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 creamy, PB? Like, well, you know. It, Rob, I, I asked, a lot of questions. how come you can ask questions this week? And I, last week when I asked questions, you were like, so many questions. Why are you asking me questions? <laughs> it's good that your brain is working, though. I appreciate okay. the questions. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, all right. Yeah. So for everyone who um, wants to tune in, obviously, to Todd's work every week, spstreamer.com. You can find him at Telestar7. And Mr. Jason DuPont, if you want anyone to find you on Twitter, let them know. But I just wanted to say thank you so much for coming on, spending time well, because you, Jason. everyone's time is really crucial in their lives. And I appreciate anyone who comes on and gives me hour or two hours, but also the information inside this podcast. I think people are just going to really get a ton from your point of view and the way you approach uh, the game and just the wealth of knowledge that you have. Um, it's really awesome, bro. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, like I said, I learned from you guys. So thank you. And it's, uh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I got nothing to promote except the NFBC. So yes. hopefully I see you in my live league next year. Uh, it's a great game. And, and as I said before, uh, and I'll add a second thing, uh, a lot of loyal NFBC players, we know how great the game is, but there's two things that people are missing the boat on. One is live events. Um, little known secret here. I don't pay more money to do live events than you do to sit on your computer at home and draft the team. Right. Why don't you show up in Vegas or New York, have a ballroom, have an auctioneer, 
have beverages, yell out the name instead of being in the draft tool and looking for the player. Uh, it's so much more fun. I actually think I have an edge live versus computer. Other people disagree. And number two is uh, auctions are underutilized in the NFBC live auctions. Do an auction, do one with me. We have so much fun uh, with auctions. Uh, as much as I love snake drafts, they actually feel boring. And I say boring, it's the second best thing in my life behind auctions. But in comparison <laughs> to auctions, auctions are steroids. Um, so, yep. again, uh, go NFBC. Uh, again, thank you to Greg, uh, Tom, and Derek. I'm always going to be singing their praises for uh, allowing us this great game. But um, best of luck, guys. Look forward to uh, tracking you both, listening and tuning in. And uh, let's end up in the winner's circle. Yep. Amen to that. Thank you. Appreciate the kind words, Jason. Thank you so much, buddy. Yeah. Take right. care, guys. Okay. Bye-bye. All righty, folks. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Poor Hitter Podcast. Again, thank you for everyone who's been kind enough to take 30 to 72 seconds out of their day, or maybe 120 seconds, who knows, to just leave a nice um, rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Um, shout out to everyone who's done that and reached out to me um, to let me know that, they, that they've that um, they written a review. Just really, really super cool. It means so much, not only to help other people find the podcast, but just just means a lot to me personally. Just um, It's just, you know, great. It's the best feedback. Um, and it's, again, super grateful for everyone who does that me and uh really appreciate that so um i hope everyone is doing well in their life and you know finding the time for themselves and um you know to really get their mind straight and you know to think on a level that they want to think at and really attack everything in life that they love and enjoy um you know that's what it's all about you know baseball is big for us who you know are into it and fantasy baseball as well but you know, you got to stay even keeled. You have to have good balance in your life. So hope everyone is finding that. Um, and when they aren't, you know, just to be able to talk to anyone about it, you know, just reach out to people. Reach out to me if you, whatever, you know, talk. Talk about life. Doesn't even have to be about baseball. But, um, yeah, so hope everyone is doing well and hope everyone's fantasy teams are doing as good as they can just remember keep putting in the work keep doing the you know keep following your process um one of the things we mentioned in the podcast is talking about how quick you could change on a player just depending on two or three weeks of 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 outcome you know sometimes it's clear indication that they're not coming to a level that maybe you expected but it's just so quick and everything changes so fast so um just stick to what you believe in you know um don't 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 let that go uh so um, and, um, yeah, hope everyone is doing well. All right. And remember, obviously, right? Don't be a bag of shit. <laughs> <laughs>